to the people. Tell them what you feel. Talk to the people. Show them you're for real. Talk to the people. Tell them what you feel. Gather them up and show them you're for real. Welcome to The Kingless Generation, a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo-parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal Schmudlock, and I have for you the second part of my ongoing series of conversations with Marcus, the host of the Return of the Repressed podcast. Marcus does a podcast full of meditations on the deep history of class struggle, his series on early communism and the sea, looks at what we might be able to recover from long lost, long forgotten civilizations of people who traveled the seven seas or however many there are and populated coastlines all around the world uh, long before we uh, normally imagine. You know, it's racist uh, archaeologists and uh, people that would insist that humanity gets all the way across the Eurasian continent about 200,000 years ago, or is it? And uh, they just never thought to to cross into North America. They never would have thought to get on a boat, you know, even though that we have reed boats that can get quite large and can carry enormous loads. And this has been proven in recent times. Things like this, right? Uh, histories of Japanese fascism, particularly, and parapolitics as well, the, the side of, like, Unit 731, uh, their bioweapons labs. Um, and Marcus is a natural farmer with decades of experience, natural farming, and also uh, university degrees from China and Southeast Asia uh, doing natural farming and can talk your ear off about uh, different strains of wheat uh, heritage strains that are have all kinds of capabilities that are impossible to imagine with the industrial monocultures that everyone is forced to use after the Green Revolution that took place among the capitalist countries during the Cold War, and that was a huge part of how the Cold War was won, and so on, right? So uh, we continued the story of Marcus's time around the American puppet states of East Asia. Yeah. Uh, and to me, you know, it's a kind of meditation on just uh, how ridiculous we are. Us white, uh, you know, Xiangyu turned out to be a Schiller Institute, is it? The LaRouche uh, think tank or whatever. But he had a nice uh, term. So the, the term for a, a white guy in Chinese is Lao Wai. But he would write that Y as uh, W-H-Y, right? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, there, I'm often, <laughs> I would often sort of semi-ironically use uh, Catullus 63, I think, is a poem uh, about working as a prefect in uh, Asian outpost, you know, Asia Minor uh, colony for the Roman Empire and then getting to go on spring break or something and uh, everyone is going off to uh, various places. Divergent roads carry us back apart, right? Uh, it, it's 
we're in this weird position, right? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, these are very willing, uh, willingly complicit people in some ways, you know, from the rulers on down, definitely the rulers at least, right? And many, many people are lined up and participating in the project of American imperialism over here, okay? Um, now, there's all kinds of hope, right? There's all kinds of hope, I feel, increasingly these days. And, uh, you know, despite the darkening clouds of war everywhere, right, and that would be the greatest single manifestation of American imperialism right now is just that, you know, Prime Minister Kishida declared, yeah, uh, you know, yesterday, the, the Ukraine of today may be the Japan of tomorrow. And he's doing more than any person on the planet to make sure that that happens, that Japan becomes the Ukraine of tomorrow, right? Because Taiwan sure as shit is too smart to do that. <laughs> uh anyway uh but what are we what the fuck are we doing here you know <laughs> us, us white men um and of course you know you're mr congeniality you're mr popular uh whenever you're here and so on and um i spent some time in the kind of hippie circles a little bit you know maybe not as exclusively into like the backpacker dimension uh that marcus describes but i would occasionally meet people from that sphere right and i would be very jealous of them you know feel that they were living much more romantic lives uh than me who was just working as an english monkey in the mountains in a mountain village you know um but nevertheless uh that english monkey job actually turns out to give leave you a lot of uh free time for thinking and studying and it was like the training sequence in a in a great you know, kind of hero movie where the hero uh, gets his shit together for the big struggle and the great adventure. And that is exactly uh, what happened. So um, there's, but there's a way, in way so who should you talk, they always say, you know, who should you speak to? You should speak to your own people. You should not go, I mean, this is absolutely true, a white uh, settler, uh, right? should not be going into a black community and trying to talk to the people there, you know, because they're not going to trust you. They're not going to listen to you. You know, it, it ch the ch chances that you're some kind of informant or provocateur are way too high to, to start with. Um, right. And that may also be true over here, you know, I'm sure. Uh, but but over here, because the way that we are worshipped here means that in a lot of places, you know, there are things that we can say that if anyone else said it, they would be laughed out of the room uh, or worse, right, silenced. So there is something for those of us who find ourselves over here by whatever quirk of fate or doom. Uh, there's something really important and meaningful for us to do here. And uh, yeah, maybe I will finally make that Japanese version of my podcast because... Uh, you know, I, but nothing w it will guarantee that I get rolled up faster <laughs> than that, I feel. As long as I'm just do it working in English, some bullshit, you know, over here, and I, I feel like um, the people who could r really make my life hard were, are not going to feel like it's urgent to do so, right? Uh, so, but uh, long story short, the, the, the crux of the story here is, is a bit of a masterpiece of a, a kind of gaijin smash, I'll say. So the, the word for laowai in, in Japan is gaijin, right? And uh, yeah, there's so many bullshit gaijin around, you know. Um, present company excluded decisively, but, um, you know, uh, 
but there, there, but for the grace of God go I, you know, on, on the other hand. Um, and I'm sure Marcus would agree. Uh, but Marcus, he's telling a story here of a kind of an epic Gaijin smash. Uh, Gaijin smash is something we talk about, like a, a video game character has a smash move that is super powerful that he can only do once in a while when his meter is fully charged. And in the same way, you know, most of the time we are trying super hard to do everything the perfect Japanese way and, you know, cross all the T's and dot all the I's or whatever. But, you know, once in a while, you, you give yourself permission to just be like, I don't get this. I'm not going to do it the right way this time. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and within reason, within limits, uh, people around you will tend to just be like, oh, okay, fine. Especially if most of the time you're, you know, you're with it. Uh, I'll give you a mulligan every now and again. Uh, and that's definitely what this is. You know, I don't want to spoil the story. Uh, so I will say that. But on the other hand, you know, uh, he's drawing on earlier magic, you know? Um, whatever the fuck C.S. Lewis was, I don't, that's a, another topic. But, um, you know, in Narnia, they talk about the, the lion drew on an earlier magic from before the dawn of time or something. Uh, and that's what this podcast is all about. We're drawing on earlier uh, magic uh, to see the future and the farthest future that, that uh, is, is possible and is becoming more and more possible by the minute, I, I claim. And around here, around in Northeast Asia, the, the deepest, nastiest puppet states of the United Snakes of America, you know, you know all that history. If you don't know that history of Wackle, the World Anti-Communist League, if you don't know, you you can go to the Farms series, right? Again, Marcus's podcast too. Uh, but you know, even Koreans, most of them, mo any given Korean that you might know, I'll bet you there's people in their family tree that went to be settlers on, under the Japanese Empire in Manchuria, in Siberia etc. And they massacred people in Seoul. They massacred Chinese people in Seoul after the false flag bombings of the Mukden incident, right, of a train line. So, you know, Koreans can be as uh, settler, as much of settlers as uh, the most racist Irish American in Boston and so on. Uh, and today they are largely, you know, no one more than Japan, really. I mean, even Korea is, is refusing to send weapons to Ukraine right now. Very, very cool. Um, the south of Korea, that is, their government. Uh, and, but Japan is, is bending over backwards at the moment to, and hiding its head in the sand to deny the dawning uh, BRICS uh, order here, you know, not that that I, I idealize that, or I think that that is communism itself, exactly, right? I'm a, I'm a little bit, you know, I definitely am not a, a strong dungist in any sense, but at the very least, it's opening up all these little cracks for all kinds of smaller groups and smaller actors to to awake, awaken, and uh, fulfill the potentials that they have. And you can do it too. You have the potential to reach out to your neighbor and form that reading group to, to read and study the, the exact world around you and what have read the history of what have people done to 
change and improve similar system, similar conditions and similar problems? What is the history of the ruling class subverting those efforts? What have they done to fight back, right? And then what can we do? Um, you know, you need, I want a generation of particularly black and indigenous, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not ordering this like I'm ordering it on, on Amazon or something, but uh, I pray, uh, Jesus, I've seen what you've done for others, and I want you to do the same uh, for us. I want a generation. I want you to raise up a generation of black and indigenous Felix Dzerzhinskys, experts in revolutionary intelligence and counterintelligence, because that's who gets these things done, right? Um, you know, I don't know how useful the term paleo-Leninism is, but people need to get together and connect offline, you know, create information asymmetry vis-a-vis -vis the ruling class. Cultivate the ability to move without the ruling class knowing every move you make. Cultivate the ability to speak without the ruling class hearing every word you say. So anyway, the really cool and suggestive and... Uh, productive thing about this Gaijin Smash story is that he's drawing, we didn't stress this I think enough in the interview, so that's why I'm doing this he drew on an older regime of property, he drew on an older regime of spirit, of vibes, right, of uh, human community, right, he drew on an older regime that was valid and the monk that he spoke to knew this he knew this, and he recognized it, right? Um, I would say, again, there's limits to, you know, what, what should we white guys be jumping in and, and saying? Uh, but that's, a, that's an example of a pretty cool uh, intervention in a certain kind of weird, funky way, right? <laughs> and and uh, another thing that Marcus was talking about, but we didn't really put a bow on, is that he was learning the limits of drugs, right? Uh, the Things Observed podcast has just done a great episode, very concise, very focused, just razor sharp interview with John Potash, author of Drugs as Weapons Against Us. And, you know, just as with natural farming, I think, you know, the natural high really comes from meditation. It comes from focusing your mind it comes from focusing your schedule, focusing the way that you use your time, the way you experience your time. Yeah, These things are extremely good for you, and they will help all of us to achieve our visions in this very difficult time. So, without further ado, if you meet the Buddha, steal the Buddha, and collectivize the Buddha. Hello. There hello. we go. How are we doing? Hello. I'm not too bad. How how are you? Nice. It's nice and sunny. The um, weather's I'm, nicer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. My uh my wife and mother in law went out on a picnic since we were gonna have a since we we're gonna have our meeting, they they I got them to leave the house. Okay. Well my apologies again for kicking them <laughs> out, getting them kicked out. No, 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 no. But I'm uh I, I like it. <laughs> I I like being here alone, so don't worry. The picnic sounds like fun too. Yeah, how is uh, how's your uh, hay fever coming along? You'd be alright for a picnic. It's all better. Yeah, it's all better now. Nice. I mean, it got that last yeah. maybe a 
a week or two, but we're more into yeah. The drink did its uh, the tincture did its trick. Well, I mean, it, that wasn't going to be a long-term solution, but I think the pollen just went away, whatever it was that was <laughs> irritating it, you know? And now the yeah. green is out on the trees. We've got all the new leaves on the trees there, and classes are starting up in a few, right? Yeah. Listeners may know here in Japan, we mm -hmm. have yeah. the fiscal year starting in the spring, together with um i don't know i wonder how it is in oh. sweden what would you have we had it, it, it the school would always start in yeah, the fall it, because uh... the settlers wanted to have their children yeah. they use their child they use child labor in the in the fields over the summer mm -hmm. right and then once harvest mm -hmm. was in that's when you would you could have the school year start right right i think we in about this time now, I mean, now it's really late. It's like uh, already April. I, we have two big vacations around this time. First is sport vacation, which is like sport sort of connected vacation. to, yeah, it's connected to like the, we have like old social democratic uh, industrial holidays, once in the summer and uh, once sort of the overlap of February and March where like, no, nice. gradually from the very top of Sweden to the south, everybody gets, depending on the area, one week off. And then, you know, that's intent, you know, that's for for parents uh, to go with their children, like uh, to go skiing. And so to make sure that All skiing right. resorts don't fill up in the same time, uh, it's like, you know, it's a step by step process. That's the why they the stagger it. Oh, OK, I was yeah. going to say, is it like yeah. uh, if it's skiing, it wouldn't be some kind of flower that's blooming. Of course, here in Japan, as the cherry blossoms bloom across the archipelago, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you know, people get out for Hanami at different times. Right. But I see oh, that's to yeah. modulate demand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there's yeah, cause Sweden the, the is, a, is a bit is. of a long country, right? Is it? I'm not. Mm -hmm. entirely clear on my geography it's uh, it's half of uh, it's you know it's uh, classical to say that it is almost exactly half of the old iron curtain it's as like oh. north to the south of sweden covers half of the border between the east and the west so that's you know mm. that's why also this sort of hidden alliance of uh, i think like the friendship pact right. of finland with russia and the supposed neutrality of sweden is probably one mm. of the major intelligence cables of the Cold War. I mean, it's only the Swedish populace who believes in the neutrality. I think the rest of the world is quite aware that, you know, that's not the case. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, well, certainly but, now. You know. But I was that is linking up with by Monica Bra, the historian of Japan, who has written about the atomic bombing. And then she also wrote this book about Ivan Morris's mother, right? Oh, and oh, so, uh, oh, this this lady, the one I'm also reading. Yeah, well, that was clear from that. Uh, you know, as the as World War II was starting, there were tons of, or no, it was um, the Russian Revolution too. There was a a mm -hmm. moment when maybe Adita Toll's uh, parents or something were dealing with maybe the higher or yeah, would it have been her generation? I forget the details now. Yeah, I'm taking this is a problem. Uh, if you take too long to read a book, you're going to forget the beginning of it by the time you get to the end. 
But, yeah, no. the intro. Yeah, but they are talking in the intro. It seems quite nineteenth century. Like there's a lot of talk about farming. She goes way back. Well, not a lot of talk about farming, but but those really like old uh, uh, relationships of production. The way uh, she describes. Yeah. I particularly like the way when the author is visiting one or uh, some person who has. Uh, uh, you know, inherited or not necessarily inherited, bought the estate. Right. And she's coming around, you know, to ask, can I just look inside? And she's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, that's so typical of, you know, like uh, stingy upper class people. Like, you know, then they don't yeah. even bother about fame, you know, like it, it would serve them yeah. better if somebody didn't come and make them famous. <laughs> like we talked a little that's bit about right. before, you know. Yeah, yeah, there was a bit. Oh, we were talking on the Discord of the Kingless Generation mm -hmm. about managing schedules and managing commitments and things, and that was a, another place that my one experience of having a bourgeoisie, like a, an haute bourgeoise girlfriend, uh, was coming mm -hmm. in handy because it, it's amazing how those people, how choosy they are about what they'll commit themselves to, yeah. and then also I remember. Yeah, it, there was a bit of culture shock. Like she would n never want her name to appear anywhere that it didn't have to appear. Like right. total information asymmetry. Like nobody right. who, like I'm always controlling very carefully who knows anything about me. Yeah. And that, yeah, you, uh, in the, in the, yeah. Han, in the Hananabi, no, like the last uh, episode of yours. Uh, yeah, you. Uh, Hammurabi's you coin. Hammurabi's coin, yeah. You referenced uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon going a lot on this, you know, the idea of uh, hiding your power structure. No, hiding your power interest. What, what's your the power thing? level? Uh, I think power level. Power level. Yes. Yeah, it's a kind of video game. <laughs> no, yeah, metaphor maybe or something. But exactly, yeah, we should learn this as well. <laughs> like, I think especially settlers. You know, somebody was quoting. Maybe Leslie Lee the third from Struggle Session saying, you know, one thing about white people is that they feel like they have a right to know everything. They just want to know everything and they don't, you know, have any concept yeah. that of information that anything could be secret or that's, you know, some people might have proprietary information. Yeah. But I wanted I interjected saying I would amend that to say only the settler class, because the real bourgeois, like the bourgeois whites know all mm -hmm. about asymmetry you know like a young child in that right. uh context that i experienced for a while there mm -hmm. even a very young child she would start to say something and mention someone's name that you know it wasn't like some big secret or something but just like a name of an associate that i didn't personally need to know that name and they were training her mm -hmm. when you give any information to anyone you are tailoring it to does this person need to know it and they said something right. like, you know, keep your secrets, Matilda. And she <laughs> shut right yeah. the fuck up. She was, oh, yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't, oh, he doesn't yeah. need to know that. Yeah. I would also add, I think, to the initial uh, statement there that uh, I don't think it's so much the, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, I don't think the true arrogance lies with, uh, you know, this kind of uh, colonial assumption that that you're entitled to know everything i think the, the true yeah. arrogance of of like western you know modernity and colonialism is sort of this 
you know, this belief in rationality that you'll be able to understand everything. You know, uh, that, that too. That, yeah. Yeah. That's that, the that, real hubris. You know, yeah. Right. Like that somehow I hate it, you know, when people is, you know, especially, I mean, in our case, I'm sure it would be, uh, you know, something adjacent to communism and somebody thinks that you'll be able to, you know, explain it in five minutes, you know, like, why do you, how dare you call yourself something like this? Or, you know, like, how dare you, uh, propose something that's like okay so tell me why you know and then you're like well, oh, yeah. won't, you know you're not going to be around the bar for the is very high for, high for us yeah and, and in right. that case maybe your strategy should be to be like okay i'm just going to weed out i'm going to filter out people who don't have the patience to sit through you know like mm -hmm. scammers are good at this yeah, right scammers uh will deliberately put a, a ton of spelling mistakes in their email and stuff all kinds of cues that ah. uh that anyone yeah. that was paying attention would catch that this is a scam. And, and that is so that they don't waste time on those people. Only someone who would not catch all the spelling mm. mistakes and not catch all the signs uh, is someone mm. who might actually get through the whole process, talking on the phone, going to the ATM, mm. wiring the money, et cetera. So um, right, you know, right. for us who are, are trying to enlighten someone obviously to a great truth and give them a great gift, uh, nevertheless, mm. Uh, you know, these are people that have been programmed hard to not, right? So there's yeah. such a thing as ground that would not be as fertile and, and somebody who just yeah, isn't yeah. in a place to listen and, right? And maybe mm -hmm. you shouldn't, maybe you should be choosy of spending your time there because it's like, I'm not going to get, not not going to convince this person. I don't know. Right. I, uh, think so. but, I mean, this but is. But there's a kind of innocence, to... I wanted to say, to to a, a settler. Yeah. The settler, the I mean, settler uh, desire to know all uh, comes mm. from being fooled by the haute bourgeoisie mm -hmm. to, into thinking that there are no secrets and there is no asymmetry and there are no classes. And there is you know, it's just Walt, Walt Whitman leaves of grass kind of, oh, this mm -hmm. is a country with no classes. And yeah. we just all get. And the Weberian thinking. Yeah. Max Weber's, uh, you know, thesis about uh, the demystification or the of fatrolling uh that, oh, what is uh, this? You, know, you know like he he uh speaks a bit i think in uh critique of well let's say like people like nietzsche maybe and uh jung uh i don't know how much nietzsche is to, you know it, it can be associated with this but certainly schopenhauer i guess and some of the other german idealists during the 19th century there was a sort of movement to demystify things uh, that you know, oh, the yeah. Enlightenment okay. was, as the Frankfurt School, you know, quite adequately put it, you know, totalitarian. Like Enlightenment is mm. a totalitarian phenomenon, and even if you don't, you know, want to be a part of it, you're 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 gonna have to be. You like, you know, knowledge works mm. in a strange way that once you've heard how other people think, it's hard to you know to refuse uh, some of that knowledge. And so there was a great move to sort of demystify things. And, you know, we see this, you know, even with scientists, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with the ghost club in England and, you know, the whole spiritualism movement who sort of tries to incorporate things like x-rays and, you know, this sort of nascent medical uh, apparatus that can certainly, you know, uh, produce very mysterious images. I was thinking about the other day, I had to do a health check and I was thinking about, um, the Thomas Mann novel, The uh, Magic Mountain, where there's like a whole chapter uh -huh. when Hans Kastorp gets an X-ray and it's like, you know, early 1900. And he's so fascinated about, you know, the, the image of the X-ray. 
and I really now this time I hadn't had an X-ray in a long time, and I was just sitting there. I was like, it is fucking fascinating, man. Like I was sitting mm. there like a, like an early nineteenth century subject of uh, biology, just wondering at it. Like I mean that that can easily be an icon of of a religion, you know, the, that you can see mm -hmm. through a body, you know, like isn't that the quality of superheroes? Uh, yeah. And, uh... <laughs> oh, spirit spirit photography is is what that reminds me of, right? Yeah. That transparency, though, then can be a not an haute bourgeois, I want to say, but a petty bourgeois mm. conceit that everything is transparent, right? The settler, the little settlers out on the land are fooled sheep-like into thinking that there are no secrets and that there is right. no asymmetry. Yeah, yeah, that they're going to um, eventually understand everything. I mean, that's basically yeah. the... the uh, um, I mean, the elementary naive hope of, of uh, positivism as such, sort of, you know, that we might not yeah. know everything right now, but it's definitely not, you know, you know, any uh, direction that we might push uh, our search in will be a fruitful one because eventually we will find out everything. And uh, seek and ye shall I don't find. Think, yeah, I don't think. Which is not this quite is with true. that promise. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think Jesus would have intended to promise that. I think he would say, no, you'll find something, so. but not everything. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if he promised you would see everything, but that was so. one thing yeah. that really did actually attract me to Christianity uh, when I was becoming a tradcast in high school and mm -hmm. kind of reaction against my hippie father. Yeah, was that yeah I lo I loved that idea that you would be able to go like sit down in the video room or you'd get to just learn the what actually what the actual reality of everything and of course then every score mm -hmm. for you would be settled where you felt uh, slighted or you felt cheated or mm -hmm. everything everyone would realize that you were right when you were right uh yeah. and that's a big kind of q anon blue anon both are are playing on that promise as well now right He's what was like, the blue anon? I haven't. Maybe I'm not. Pay I thought I was paying attention very much. Oh, uh, blue anon is, a, is a tongue-in-cheek word for like Russiagate stuff, where just the just the Democrats oh, okay. supporters, yeah, yeah, um, constantly looking for. I mean, I was in this a little bit when when Trump was first elected. I was like, that was my big break uh, with my eager class collaborator liberalism, and mm -hmm. I was lucky to just be landing in a tenured professorship right then mm -hmm. and uh my political conversion didn't have to it could take place very freely you had better right? things you had better things to pay attention to <laughs> somehow yeah well also i was having children too so that but that actually gave me a much deeper sense of caring about politics it, it connects you to the the earth in a certain way or it did yeah. me and yeah you feel like history and you feel like I mean that all of that. What what kind of world am I going to leave for my uh, children? Oh yeah, I'm part of the whole flow of human history and stuff and so on in this way. Mm. Uh, okay, historical subjectivity. But for me, yeah, it gave me some level. historical subjectivity to have bio to have reproduced biologically. Yeah. Yeah. And and so at that time, I was at first actually in. I was searching hungrily on Twitter for all different, you know, ways of interpreting this event, this, this, mm -hmm. the election of Trump. And yeah. there were all the blue anon people out there in hindsight. It's very, I think it's very appropriate to call this blue anon. Like, Oh, there was a guy with a fucking Eagle cartoon. Um, I didn't follow the Krasenstein brothers too 
closely, but that would be a good example. Okay. And I don't I know who the they names are of all either, these people. But... They were getting, uh, yeah, lucky you. They were getting <laughs> exposed one after the other, you know, within months, sometimes years later. There, I don't even remember the names, and I'm happy not to. Mashallah. Hmm. But um, <laughs> uh, they would every day be like, okay, today is the day Trump is going to gown. He's. There, there's a guy yeah, yeah. on TikTok, I think, who did, wow, whoa, yeah. guys, it's time now. It's time for Trump yeah. to go down, right? Yeah. And there's this and promise every time he's like, he gets out of it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be I in handcuffs by tonight. And, and everyone so will know. Everyone we're going to, and, and it's a similar desire is what I'm saying to the, the QAnon uh, desire to have everyone, sure. everyone that doesn't believe the truth will know the truth and have to apologize to you about it. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of negative eschatol eschatological hope as well, you know, that once Trump is gone, you know, finally, you know, everything will be revealed. Like, what does it matter? Really, what does it matter? <laughs> what has happened like in the last few years, you know, hasn't things, you know, stayed exactly the same or even worse? Like, I don't know that. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are some internal uh, American politics, you know, on, you know, less, uh, I'm not going to say less important, but like surely less global affect, uh, uh, you know, things with abortion. Mm -hmm. But like even now wasn't, you know, that was during Biden, right? That abortion was basically made illegal. Like that seemed like a Trump thing. Uh, yeah, well, I, was exactly. Already? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, o Biden, uh, o Obama, right, started the uh, concentration camps on the border. And, uh, you know, this is the right. usual pattern. Ice Actually, a all the really dirty work gets done under Democrats because nobody's paying attention and they yeah, can yeah. take turns. They can take turns sitting in the blue dog chair and uh, mm. being the heel in the pro wrestling match and being like, actually, yeah. no, I think today I'm going to turn evil. And that's mm -hmm. what happens in this week's episode of the, you know, cheap drama. Yeah. yeah, the dramatization of the whole thing is also so I, I mean, all these people like the uh, John Oliver and, you know, all these uh, late night mm. talk shows. I mean, they had a ball with Trump, man. Like they, they must, their popularity mm -hmm. must have gone through the roof, pretending that he's their enemy when he's actually like probably the biggest, biggest, you know, benefactor they've ever had. I think I, mm -hmm. I was living with a guy who really liked John Oliver back then during the beginning of Trump. Mm -hmm. I think like 20 episodes in a row, the it, it opened up with something about what Trump had done like the last week and it just got more and more ridiculous. And it seems like they really didn't understand this kind of, I haven't read him thoroughly, but you know, Michel Bakhtin, no, uh, Mikhail Bakhtin, he's not French, uh, Russian, mm. Mikhail Bakhtin, mm. uh, who was a literary theorist. And I think Zizek said at one point, you know, like, if you want to understand Stalinism, like you should read Bakhtin, because Bakhtin mm. was allowed to sort of operate uh, under, you know, press, ideological pressure, because he was a literary theorist. And just like Gramsci had this great way of, you know, cryptically speaking about power relations. And so, you know, literary theory, speaking about, you know, not that Stalin necessarily is completely responsible for what Stalinism is. Uh, you could yeah, see yeah. a sort of, um, you can see that what he called, yeah, the convalesque. And I heard you use the term in, in your last episode as well. Uh, maybe that's why I'm thinking about it. He, uh, you know, when he speaks about this carvenalesque and the grotesque body, that, you know, mm. 
it's it's supposed to be laughed at. Like, are you so yeah. stupid that you don't think that it doesn't serve his purpose perfectly? That you, you know, you, you, you're talking about it. That's all he wants you to do. It doesn't matter if you're against it or for it. You, he wants you to focus on this. That's like, you know, and mm -hmm. that keeps the carnival going because everybody needs to agree that, well, this is, uh, you know, either the best or the worst thing that has ever happened. And, uh, and as long <laughs> as we can keep that, you know, back and forth, Wechselwerkan, uh, like the dialectics, then, uh, yeah, ideology will keep on finding forward movement. Like it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I really stopped watching all those late night shows during Trump. Like I thought they were a bit entertaining before, but after that, it was just like, yeah, I don't know, what? something out of uh, I don't know, V for Vendetta thing. You know, when they're holding the guns and applaud now, and everybody's like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's like, oh, I haven't um, watched but... that. I guess I have to see that. Yeah, but I know what you mean. I I totally know what you mean about yeah, yeah, yeah. late night comedy. <laughs> like I used to, I can remember when that seemed so meaningful during Bush, but like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that just ceased yeah. being possible yep. at that moment. Yeah. So yeah. this this morning, I actually saw um, the Twitter account holding Biden accountable. The handle is actually okay. waiting on Biden. Uh, posted right. that Biden is giving more, giving ICE, right, immigration control and enforcement, more money and right. power than they received under Trump. Uh, wow. And they are going after that a was youth the big soccer thing. league in Texas. Uh -huh. um, they're getting surveillance video from a major abortion provider in Illinois, student records from an elementary school in Georgia, health records from a major state university student health services, data from three boards of elections or election departments and data from a Lutheran organization that provides refugees with humanitarian and housing support. Uh, oh, that there. feels so, uh, so schemish. I don't know. It seems like the worst. Content. I yeah. remember I, I read an, uh, a ghost story, like a really go yeah. good ghost story when I was in uh, high school. Um, mm. and, and it was funny, like it was in the ghost story, like, like you know, just any Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's Edgar Allan Poe style ghost story uh, anthology and there was yeah. a story about um, some kids in Germany in 1936 who were given a, a, a school assignment project to do uh, um, a family tree you know uh, to mm -hmm. find out you know uh, like you know the same promise as like those sort of quasi Facebook sites uh, uh, give you you know like oh discover who your old ancestors were and parents and everything and then little by little, the ghost story uh, progresses. And I mean, this was for kids. <laughs> I was, I, I don't know, young uh, anyway, when I read it. And little by little, the ghost story progresses into the, you know, a point where you understand that, I mean, this wasn't just any school project. It was like a Nazi, Nazi strategy to find out the family tree of the Jewish children in the class so that they knew who to pick. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. And I remember that was like, I really felt so bad. Like when I read that, I, I was like, what? Like, it's so mean. Like, I don't know. It seems so like, you know, it doesn't seem like fair play to like, you know, to sort of prey on the innocence of your fellow man in this way, you know, like that. And, and it feels yeah. the same thing with Biden, you know, targeting this kind of organizations that are like, you know, just there to help people. That's exactly I mean, if you, it. You're gonna, yeah. Yeah. Like, if if anything, you should target, I don't know, you know, the the traffickers that make so much money out of it. I mean, you could spend all that budget on on people who are providing, 
you know, women to like webcam shows or, you know, uh, escort girls. And, you know, there's so much of, you know, illegal immigration that you could start off with before you start, yeah. you know, going against well, these people that you just, uh, you know, talked about just because they are. That's what the actual ICE, that's what ICE actually is probably mostly doing itself. You know, that's yeah. what the cops very, very often, you know, people... Some somebody was talking about who might be the next Jeffrey Epstein, but I, I think the more advanced way to look at it maybe is to say like, who is your local Jeffrey Epstein? Who's the Jeffrey Epstein right, in your local com yeah. community? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, Who's they're the everywhere. Jeffrey Epstein you already know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. That's, that's very true. Exactly. I mean, yeah, because that would be sort of yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Who is the uh, the drug dealer on the corner sort of but you know not in a policing way but just so that you know you mm -hmm. know then you know it should it should be made personal somehow because well, the official government sponsored drug dealer uh yeah right? uh, of course the real yeah. drug dealers I, the the leader was new, the queen uh... well now will be the king i don't know do you think <laughs> do you think old uh yeah i i have a uh, I, I there was a in a thrift shop near here i got okay. a Wedgwood commemorative plate of Lady Di's marriage to old Charlie oh. there. Oh, really? And it's got Diana. Wow. Yeah, I have it right here. Let me show you. I'll get it. Soaked for my whole. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Also, it's uh, like for, for uh, uh, Charlie. It's a, it's a cup. Uh, what's it called? You know, I like the, to. Uh, yeah, coaster. I like to. I like to put a. Uh, soy sauce on it and the wasabi i give uh charlie a good little like wasabi beard on him and then i slap a nice. bunch slap some tuna slap some salmon on yeah. there slap a clam on it you know cool oh so i i get it now you're in uh this is your office at the school i never got the depth this of my the room office. before yeah yeah what a nice place got your own office, office and everything yeah, I uh, I was introduced to my office last week, and it's not as congratulations <laughs> not as nice on the job. You and yeah, isn't that yeah, great? Yeah. You're, you're getting a medical exam. I remember when I was getting my medical exam for this job, I was a bit mm. nervous because I was coming back from the states where I may have uh, consumed some substances that could remain in the mm -hmm. body. I was like looking up, you know, how long it would. Uh, but but no, it's yeah. not the, the the purpose of in in a uh, barely functioning social democracy like Japan. The purpose of a health screening is to protect employees, mm. protect workers from employers, not to protect employers from workers. So okay, it's to you get a yearly health checkup to make sure that the employer is not damaging your health. Right. Oh, nice. That's over good. time they they you gather funny if gather. i did get tuberculosis <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> is there danger Such of that an that's what they tested me for that was like the big oh, thing okay. tuberculosis i was like what really that seems right. a very ancient uh, disease i don't know but i mean it's very and actually i think tuberculosis in japan is the biggest in the whole developed world or something so yeah it's not completely might be. without warrant yeah mm. uh, yeah i never did look into why that was I don't know what the story mm. was with that. I was happy to get the yeah, BCG here. The BCG, that's that's a hypothesis about COVID as well, is that the BCG vaccine and certain strains of it, the countries that really had the least trouble with COVID were countries that had basically the same strain as 
the Soviet Union. And okay. Japan is one of those countries. The strain of BCG that they use, bovine, whatever it is. It's one of the earliest vaccines that there is, right? They poke you with needles in your arm. Right. Uh, it's the one for uh, smallpox, no? Uh, chickenpox. Uh, I'm not sure. Is it smallpox? Oh, fantastic. Well, I've got that covered. I then. don't know. I was thinking because I was thought Might like with work bovine on because I know that... Uh, the, that first vaccine was uh, smallpox. Was uh, oh cowpox? Co co to, to yeah, kosh or uh, pasture, pasture. Like one of those early microbiologists, they realized that you know uh, uh, mm. the maids. Well, right. they're not called maids, are they? Uh, well, yeah, the were the milkmaids. Yeah, that's what you'd yeah, call I mean, them yeah. at that time. Right. Uh, they they never got sick, right? So that's how they start to mm. you know wonder like why why did they not get sick? Well, because they've been introduced yeah to the cow version. Oh, I'm full of shit. Uh, so BCG is Bacille Calmet Geron, uh, okay. is what that stands for. It's a vaccine for tuberculosis. So okay, okay. yeah, uh, it the U.S. doesn't vaccinate with this. Um, if uh, does Sweden? Do you have BCG? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm thinking maybe. about it. I I remember. If looking not, it up, maybe. I can't remember. And you're I old think enough that you could 70s. get it again. Oh, cause so that yeah. would be. Maybe you should get it again. Talk to a pediatrician near you and mm. see if you can get them to give it to you. Okay. Because yeah, I got it and uh, feel. I don't know. I felt like I got COVID at least once, maybe twice, uh, mm. and didn't did fine. I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. maybe I'm choosing to attribute it to that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, uh, but there's data. There's people okay, that but... it's one of those things that people say, you know, it's impossible to hard to judge anything, any of these claims these days, but that's one of the things yeah. that people say is that BCG countries that have been doing BCG from childhood yeah. have had a way easier time with it. And particularly this one strain of it that there's a weird band, and I wonder what the history is there. But Japan, the Soviet Union, and a, a couple other countries, yeah, have this I mean, one yeah. strain. I think that's the thing I'm most disappointed. I think about the whole COVID uh, uh, because I took like a medical uh, anthropology, you no, know, like a history of ideas of medicine class during COVID because I wanted to get into more like. Uh, I mean, the history of like pandemics, basically, that was the name of the uh, course. Mm. Uh, and it was like a one year course, half speed, and it was really good because, uh, I mean, it got into so many, like, you know, I never heard about like, you know, those pandemics that were in Hong Kong in like the 70s and the 50s that spread over the whole world. And I never knew about like, I mean, they were really global, you know, pandemics and there was no, you know, shutdown and like, you know, the way they treated the global pandemics then in the 50s and the 70s and, and the one in the 70s, more people died than, you know, during COVID now and they treated it completely different. And I really like, mm. I think, you know, that was the one thing, you know, lacking. They only talked to like people who were like etiologists and what, you know, what's his name, the, uh, the really big guy in America. The uh, Far Farchi, uh, Fauci, Anthony Fauci. Fauci. Yeah, yeah. They only talk to these like highly, you know, uh, spec, you know, very specific uh, uh, experts on the matter. Mm. Where it's like these are conversations for for people who are in the medical industry. I mean, why should yeah. we listen to all these very specific? I mean, can there be no Fauci's like you know folk like historian? Yeah. yeah. 
Like, why can't we listen okay. to some folk historian, like, who has a common sort of, you know, understanding of the history of pandemics, you know, that would have been reassuring, mm. like, to know how have we as a species battled pandemics before and, you know, refresh the minds of people who have already been in a pandemic and, and, and you know, mm. how did we get through it before? It was so, almost like we're faced with this thing that has never happened before. Like, what fuck me. What was that pretending that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was the like, need? Yeah. And then, you know, of course, I mean, novel, if it's a novel thing, we're going to be asking for novel solutions as well. And there's definitely not going to be a debate of like, you know, I mean, isn't that science of anything? I mean, if you compare the one thing that points out that like, you know, scientific racism, for example, in the 19th century, that it was fake, was that none of them built upon the research of a previous racial scientist. Everybody wanted to have like a new theory. You see the same thing with like, you know, Nazi ideologists about the origin of Aryans. They all have their own separate, you know, new idea or a new approach to it. And science is supposed uh. to be, you know, standing on the shoulders of, of previous scientists. But when this happened, fuck, it was like, yeah, you know, as if it was out of the blue and that we've never had, you know, you know, projects of, of battling pandemics before, like state uh, 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 solutions to these uh, things. And I, I don't yeah. know, it just felt so like isolated and, and so ahistorical, very typical of capitalism in this way, you know, this superlative yeah. uh, nowness of things like, you know, tomorrow and well, this week, in... this happened. Like, yeah, in consumer know how society. many died this week, like, yeah. And in get the gig economy, which is which is now eating into academia as well, so that then yeah. maybe not even by accident, that creates this place whereby you know an, an environment where you have to sell everything as this novel, uh, mm. totally yeah. sui generis thing, yeah. even if you're not yeah. in the humanities. I mean, maybe the humanities has been like has always been like that to some degree. But uh, mm. science should should not be that way, as you say. Yeah, no. it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll remain with the question of yours. That's a good, you know, that's mm. the inquiring investigation. That what was the reasons for doing for doing it this way? And, yeah, um, yeah. Many uh, many answers to that question. So in our discussion last time, we have gotten up to the point, I think, where you tried datura is it yeah and yeah, yeah that was your it was your datura experience was maybe one of the last yeah. things that yeah. was discussed so I last shot time. myself <laughs> yes uh you peered in over an edge once again except not the edge of a tall building but the edge of a hole a deep pit right. in a construction yeah. site mm -hmm. and yes and yeah, then... I was happy that you pointed that out because I had never thought about it. It was almost like, uh, you know, like a like a psychoanalyst uh, analyzing my dream for me that I never, <laughs> uh, I never noticed that signifier <laughs> before. But yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, the edge. That's but you came true. back from the edge. You came back from the mm -hmm. edge, purged. <laughs> yeah. So Somebody you were living with me. these people yeah. there. Where where were you? This is a comic. You know, I met uh, just yeah. the other day. I was in this one park and um, with some kind of fellow parents after a, a certain lesson. And uh, yeah, my one I keep kid forgetting was... you live over there. Yeah, I'm in Tokyo. So so my one kid was swinging on the monkey bars and got like carried away okay. and swung too hard and fell and just kind of like 
went like cheek first uh, into the sand. I, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he was fine, but um, yeah. But this lady suddenly comes up and just like she was a Kamakura hippie. I think she had this kind of thing wow. where I'm just gonna. I'm just going to smile ear to ear at everyone and be total friends with you. And she just was like, are you okay? Oh, that must have hurt. And she's like massaging my child's head. And like, um, he's like picking his How guy. old is she? Um, well, so she had her own child there who was oh, okay. uh, very yeah. young. And mm. her, her fellow was there too. And he was kind of looking at me like, yeah, I mean, I know she does. <laughs> but like, uh, I was like, okay, yeah, thank you so much. I'm sorry to tr trouble you. Uh, you know, yeah, sorry that you, I think he really feels yeah. better. He's just like, mm. oh, that must have felt bad, but but uh, you can do it next time. You've got it. You can do it. She she became like this little guru. Like Reiki. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a little guru talk, like sermon began. Um, okay. You know, it's kind of yeah. like, yeah, this is how I'm going to teach my child too. You know, when we have yeah. our failures, we have our successes, we're going to deal with it according to this five-step uh, easy program. Wow, 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 wow. I don't know. I mean, well, that wasn't, she didn't yeah. say that, but it was it kind of. No, like, no, no, but you get the feeling, you know, like uh, there's the script, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. There's a script, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like, wow. Okay. I, so are you, are you also involved in this school that's nearby? Like, that's where we came from anyway, you know? She's like, no. Do you know Kamakura? And I was like, yes, uh, the city. Oh. What do you mean? And uh, mm -hmm. she said, we came from Kamakura and uh, we're visiting, you know grandma and grandpa here so yeah nice I yeah was like, i mean okay, i would say right. Just, yeah, kamakura hippies that's the thing I, I think the kamakura hippies uh were a lot better than the people then i had to join in uh, uh in tokyo at the uh, uh amaterasu share house the lady ah that's oh, where well, we are she was yeah the, the woman uh, or, the, or yeah, the young woman that I was, you know, flirting with, had a summer fling with, early summer fling with, she um, mm. she was the most sane person there, like, uh, even though she mm. was an aspiring witch, which I think like, you know, may maybe because, as I said, like sort of had this ethnobotanical background, mm. I think she was the most uh, materialist of all of them. The rest were sort of grifting uh, in, in various ways. Uh, she so i didn't very you know i i liked her i liked her a lot and uh mm. but after that incident i sort of uh you know like uh sometimes i i, I mean especially when you're like a wanderer at, you know I'm, I'm sure everybody who has had you know uh, uh a gap year at least um between university and, and high school sort of feels that like your life takes on a sort of uh almost romanticist uh, character like you know you're a person who who tells the story you meet other people who who are part of a story that they've just started telling about themselves and so you need to have this sort of uh, narrational attitude towards how you deal with things that happen and i felt that after this happened i sort of i had to leave that place you know like uh, if i if i if i i mean that it was pretty yeah to everybody except me it probably sounded like a pretty cool incident and and to mm. sort of then create a myth about myself, yeah. I had to leave the place uh, and I had to go somewhere else. And the thing was that I had the one of the the best guys that I met um, at the rice farm mm. who came mm. to do some rice farming 
and who then, you know, introduced me to Amatera. So he had been there before and we had gone to like a farmer's market together. So I knew that he was also a farmer somewhere in the suburb of, um, uh, of Tokyo. And it was his sister who was a, uh, a musician of one of those old, uh, Japanese uh, sort of guitar string instruments, but that only has three strings, I think. There's Shamisen? quite a few of them. There's, yeah, probably like the mm. one uh, sort of shamisen is the one that was big with the geishas, right? Like in the floating world. Yeah, cat skin uh, or snake skin. Uh, can't the banjo. Remember. Mm. Yeah, it looked like a banjo. It did. Yeah. This, uh, if it's like this size and it's cat skin, that's a shamisen. If it's smaller and it has snake mm. skin, that would be an Okinawan sanshin. Right. Uh, otherwise, yes. yeah. that I, I remember that the Okinawan one mm. is the one with the snake skin. And then there's also quite a few, right, that are like sort of deviations of the Korean and the Chinese versions where you pluck at strings on a sort of uh, horizontal table almost. Oh, those uh, are, yeah, those are various zithers, you know, koto. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then they often come together, right? Like, I mean, at least in the traditional sort of. Uh, high uh feudal shamisen uh, maybe not you know because the koto would be part of gagaku so that would go together okay. with the show the kind of really complicated flute like thing that has a bunch the of, bamboo flute yeah it has many many small bamboo pipes sticking vertically up and it you blow oh, okay into then, then the thing on not the side. as shakuhachi or what's it called the sh no the, the that, one, the big one, that's kind of like a uh, flute you know with a reed yeah kind of right. like a clarinet yeah, yeah. or double it's a double reed like an oboe right mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah uh she was then i think she yeah she played uh, shamisen yeah shamisen is, one, shamisen comes from the okinawan one the mainland one was imported right. during the edo period mm -hmm. um and they changed it from snakeskin to catskin but mm -hmm. it comes from there and the, and the and reason it, uh i it think has a more low one. connotation right yeah right i was about to say Mumpin. i read that book um yeah, I read a book about, I think he's even a post-Altusarian uh, mm -hmm. who wrote about, um, and you talked about this in one of your episodes before as well, how, uh, I mean, basically the whole entertainment industry, even if you don't think about geishas, were basically seen as prostitutes. I mean, they belonged to the same class, like you were definitely mm -hmm. not, you know, it wasn't, you know, Hollywood stars yeah. as we see them today, like people who were in theater, people who were musicians people who were like traveling entertainers were yeah. in a lot of ways the class of no class because they didn't you know they refused right. the one rule of uh, agricultural fundamentalism of the Tokugawa shogunate right that you stay in your place and you know we shouldn't be really traveling around here even merchants yeah. are lower right in this uh, well ideology. even before so, that yeah even more like in the middle ages um but the the ideology of the rice state was always there right Mm -hmm. more or less and in the middle ages they had maybe the most freedom to kind of pursue all, all kinds of autonomous zones but yeah is that really different today i don't know you know for the for the if you're the right rank and you for the right price or whatever um i don't yeah. know if it necessarily is is about money at that point but for the right person uh yeah i think an entertainer even today is in some mm. kind of yeah. sex trade kind of zone yeah yeah but that's true especially when you think of like how you know most musicians and i mean not even talking about poets i mean nobody gets paid to be a poet these days but 
most people who are like in uh, i mean the those who are not famous right like i mean you in, in sweden you go to different bars and play there sometimes for you know in exchange for alcohol uh, sometimes you play on these sort of uh, you know uh, transit boats between finland and sweden and so yeah. you know the gig economy of that industry is definitely sort of sub proletarian i mean you 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 probably mm -hmm. most of the time beg to be exploited right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most of the time it's, yeah. Uh, uh, well the only actually then the only thing i might say that that made us think that the entertainment industry was the stable thing was the wurlitzer the mighty wurlitzer of of cold war pop culture right mm. which has its decades and everything isn't it funny how there used to be decades they would decide on a new set of styles and cues and right colors yeah. and uh yeah. jean yeah, yeah. cuts of jeans boot cut whatever mm -hmm. cut and now yeah. uh now there's no more decades and you can but people just sort maybe of generations endlessly maybe. remix yeah not generations even but that gen that draws attention to the fact that those were ideological constructs that were carefully laid out to keep popular mm -hmm. culture on certain well-controlled tracks and they that they don't yeah. feel like they need anymore yeah i mean in connection to the to that i would say like i really appreciate sort of uh 80s and 90s coming of age uh, Taiwan and, and Hong Kong films where you see that oh. you know they're already mixing it up you know they're not as much under the you know aesthetic control of uh, you know American you know fashion magazines uh, so so you have like much more of a mix-up of, of the styles and of the clothes and of course in Taiwan and I mean also in Hong Kong you have a you know sort of Francoist uh, fascism like a junta style you know control which makes you know uh, expressions of rebellion that are actually quite organic very different from from uh, oh. you know when following the lines of a fashion magazine well okay so she right. so um, you're in amaterasu yeah i'm the, in amaterasu and, and, and uh, yeah she yeah. had she had rather carelessly put you in this experience in this place yeah yeah kind yeah, of, yeah yeah kind so <laughs> But uh, yeah. but it became uh, you know like a like a good event to um, to stick to uh, you know to have as a sort of the narrational point of uh, not just when we are talking now but even when I experienced it of you know just like I had thought to myself back in uh, uh, not Shimonoseko uh, Nishinari in Osaka that you know with the dead body you know maybe this and even before that you know with the house falling in uh mm. you know i was in this very symbolic universe where, where things were libidinally invested in uh to the point where i had to keep on moving and so mm. i um i had met this guy who uh, was the initial introducer of the amaterasu back in uh, the rice uh commune or the, no, the rice field it wasn't commune it was just a family um mm -hmm. And, and his sister was living in Amaterasu, and that's why he knew about Amaterasu, and that's why he had introduced me to it. And um, he uh, he said that he had another friend who lived together with four or five other people who were more like me. Like he had already started to realize, you know, why are you always talking about like this thing called capitalism? <laughs> like, you know, why are you always talking about, you know, that we should do, you know, maybe some demos or, or something like this, you know? Usually people talk about holding healing stones and, and, and you know, your, your, your kind of people are talking about, yeah, uh, I don't know, magic and tarot and, and all those things that are popular there. And, 
yeah 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 exactly yeah uh and so he said maybe you should go over there like you know i'll take you there uh and he didn't like his sister very much either which was interesting to find out when he realized <laughs> that i didn't belong to that you know mm-hmm. sort of uh, uh community so he was very happy to introduce me to another guy who <laughs> nice. um Oh yeah, yeah, I can't stand them. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I sent and, you there because um, I thought this... it would work out. Then. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that was uh, that's sort of how I got it. And uh, he uh, he took me to a place in Yokohama, in the suburbs of Yokohama. Sort of very. It really reminded me of sort of those English uh, row houses. It wasn't as extreme as in England, obviously, but like it had really like sort of very very similar houses i don't know when they were built i think they were built like right after the uh the uh um right after the war and so they were built i i assume that they weren't working class uh that that wasn't a working class area in initially now it had become a sort of place for well small you know uh, small children families and uh well in this case similar you know a community of, of, of people in their 20s and, and early 30s who decided to live in a guest house together. And, uh, you know, they were just five people, but, you know, the houses were really nice. And, and uh, so I, I went there to stay with them. And the host of that house, he um, was a he he was born in Japan, but then he had lived for most of his youth in America, in Philadelphia. And so he spoke really good English, obviously. Uh, was his name and was uh like a sort of i don't know like he was uh, i think an anarchist but a sort of like you know anarchist for the sake of uh that he wants to take the drugs that he he wants to take (laughs) sort of guy and so he grew Mm. like uh, cannabis in a in a wardrobe uh over there and uh but then you know he was also really like you know he, he 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 sold cannabis and uh, and I asked him like you know when he took me up there the first day I walk in through the door and uh, the other guy called he was with me mm. and we walk in through the door to this small then share house and uh, it smells obviously a lot and um, he just calls out like yeah anybody here and then I just hear from the other room like yeah we're over here and then <laughs> I walk through this sort of cork uh, screen into a really nice living room that is sort of half kitchen and half uh, living room. And there's a huge tree uh, that has been treated with linseed oil um, covering like the whole roof, but like mm-hmm. a dead tree uh, from one corner and then, you know, dropping down over the whole room, giving it a very like nice atmosphere. And then, wow. you know, he's sitting there um, in, a, in a really big couch that's sort of, you know, one of those more, Japanese cows, the couches that stands only about, you know, 20 centimeters off the ground or something. Right. And then he's right. like, oh, it's nice that you've come. Like, how you doing, yeah. man? Like, perfect English and everything. Right. And I was like, oh, wow, cool. Oh. Like, uh, you know, like, first time in a long time speaking English. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's nice to be here. Like, how, how are we doing? And he's like, I'm doing just wonderful, man. And he had a uh, sounds like a beautiful like, tree. Yeah, we should probably yeah. think of a <laughs> we should probably think of a pseudonym for him though. Yeah, let's call him. Yeah. Let's call him Isao. 
yeah let's because do, yeah, i was yeah. thinking about it when i was saying it he might we, still be have, yeah around somewhere yeah. yeah he might still be around yeah <laughs> and i've given too much information about him as well uh and so and you know 10 minutes into an introduction he was like you hmm. want to come upstairs man i was like yeah i want to go upstairs i guess and then he was like hmm. all right and then we went upstairs into his uh uh living room uh no so, sorry uh sleeping room and it was mm. a really nice like old uh, style japanese uh, room so there was no furniture or anything and then there mm. was a big you know the uh you know the the sort of wall wardrobe that you know it's just the sliding doors and he yep. had taken out he had taken out you know the the sort of middle shelf where you usually put mm. the futons on he had sort of uh, sawn that off and then the <laughs> The whole thing was just a big, huge HPS light, you know, with the golden oh, okay. light. <laughs> so, yeah, so the whole room just lit up. Like, and I was thinking when he did it, when oh. he slided the doors aside, I was just imagining that, you know, this should have been like a, like an album cover of some psychedelic rock band, like uh, from the Japanese <laughs> 60s or something. And it just like oh, slid yeah. to the sides. And I was like, wow, man, like, that's quite, uh, you know, that's, that's quite a horticultural ambition you've got going on. Here. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I mean, if and there had like, ever been a psychedelic culture in Japan, because they're like, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but uh, the drug laws here are way stricter. You know, I mean, like we're close to the yeah. edge of the, the Cold War. What? Mm-hmm. I don't know why it is. Was it the post-war that, that cannabis became illegal? I want to say it was, and it's it's a big part yeah, of the it's traditional like Harry J. Culture. Anslinger, it's uh, 1952, right? 53, he has this big United mm. Nations meeting, as I remember it, yeah. <clears throat> oh, okay, <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. We made a re- I made a direct, re- like, not reference, I made a, didn't make a direct reference to Harry J. Anslinger, but I uh, yeah. when he slid the doors aside, I did say, like, isn't that illegal? And he just looked at me, he was like, <laughs> Capital punishment. <laughs> <laughs> capital punishment. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think it would be capital punishment exactly. Would it? No, probably not. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I really don't joking know. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, because definitely, know. you know, you hear the horror stick. stories. Listeners may not know that, you know, in Japan, on American influence, you know, even though it's part of the traditional culture, and even Abe Aki Akie, yeah, Abe's wife, yeah, Abe Shinzo, mm-hmm. who was just got domed in uh yeah yeah right Right. um or necked in the throat uh yeah we don't know right you've been talking a lot about that yeah well they still they refused to release the autopsy uh they said they will not release it so i don't know if we'll Mm -hmm. ever know but um yeah all we have is that doctor's uh press conference which i have translated into english so check it out on the patreon yeah but um, I listened also. Didn't you talk about that with uh, on the farm episode? Uh, I was on the farm uh, to talk to Recluse about that as well. Mm-hmm. I was very thankful to have that. I learned a lot there about the Wackle connection, right? Fascinating stuff. Yes. So, so his wife Abe Akie is a cannabis crusader as well. That's one of oh, many wow. things that she does. She goes around talking about mm-hmm. this is Japanese traditional culture and it should be loosened, but. Uh, you know, the horror stories that you you should hear if you're a foreigner in Japan is is that, you know, mm-hmm. they will put you in jail for like five years and then you'll be deported and banned from maybe ever entering Japan or 
you know, entering the country mm -hmm. for a long time. So they're quite yeah. strict about even marijuana. They would treat it the same as something much, much more dangerous. Yeah. Unfortunately. So Iso was a real, uh, he really was uh, breaking the law. So, yeah. 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 And I, or maybe uh, you know, he had, so I, maybe he had police contacts. I wonder if he, I wonder if he, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I never saw any shady people around there. So, you know, it was just our little group of people. And so I felt, uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it was, you know, a really nice time staying yeah. there with, with him. And uh, I mean, definitely that intro that I just gave you, you know, like that sort of, uh, show the you know his uh demonor or like you know his persona in, in a great yeah. way so you know I, I and he was maybe seven years older than me so you know i had to take him you know uh and uh there were one other guy who uh worked in a theater troupe uh he mm -hmm. was gonna play some he didn't speak any english uh he actually he, the uh, what was what were we gonna call him now what, what was the name you came up with yeah Isau. so only Isao uh, spoke good enough English, uh, I mean, better English even than me, since he had been, you know, he was basically an American. And uh, the other guy was in a theater troupe and he was doing a, some Dracula uh, play. Oh. And so he was preparing right. for that every every evening. And so we got to like take part in, <laughs> in his, uh, we were supposed to be like extras and I was a victim at yeah. one point, you know, that he was had he the lead the from. Oh, I think nice. so. He was Dracula, he was, he was Dracula. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and so he had all the and he had this great soundtrack like of sort of rock and roll uh, uh <laughs> gothic music that was supposed wow. to be for it. So so you know every night we would like smoke up and he would be like now it's time to prepare, you know, for the theater. <laughs> and, then, wow. and everybody got like an extra yeah. role and and you know I also usually got the ones where there were no lines, just, you know, mm. a woman because uh yeah, I <laughs> like <laughs> to to have her blood sucked and uh and apart from him, there was the girlfriend of uh, our good friend, um, and um, she worked at I think at a call center, so a really boring job. Mm -hmm. And then there was a, a, another friend of hers who was a sort of uh, a hostess in a bar, I think. So also a, a, a job that she didn't like very much, but you know it wasn't anything extreme. She didn't have to go home with the customers or anything, but she had to. Uh, drink in bars almost every night which i thought was like quite extreme like fuck like, and yeah she, she would always come home you know quite tipsy and she'd she'd bring the alcohol because she would always have like you know half bottles of like you know nice johnny walkers or shiva's regal whatever the businessmen drink and she, oh she, sure she would you know yeah she would take that you know when they left and they'd leave mm -hmm. loads of half open bottles uh and so, you know, that, that for us, it, that was a great treat, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so we, 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 me and her, we sort of, got, you know, had a little thing going for a little while. I slept in the living room downstairs and all of them together also had sort of jointly invested in a big uh, wood workshop. So apart from the living room, you know, there was one other big room on the first floor that they had completely turned into like a woodworking shop. And mm -hmm. I, you know, that was so cool. Like they had awesome. everything in there. They had a, yeah. And they had like a huge piano and an LP player, uh, with a lot of Rolling Stones records for some reason. And, uh, <laughs> and the music that was supposed to go into the Gothic rock and roll genre albums I've never heard about. Uh, I was, I think some, uh, rainbow, you know, the, uh, Dio's uh, first band, the, uh, what's that one called? You know, like. 
One day in the year of the fox. And, 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 <laughs> it's got this like medieval sort of vibe to it. Yeah, I'll send yeah. it to you later. Dio, Dio fans will know what it is for sure. Uh, and uh, uh, and then the piano. And so then they, you know, they were quite artistic. So everybody could play the piano. So somebody would sit and play the piano. And then we would all like sort of work in the you know wood workshop and it was sort of like dazed and confused you know when the last year of high school when they're sitting there like making bombs uh sorry not bombs bongs uh mm -hmm. what's his name slater son and he's like oh you gotta pack it you know you got air coming through here man you, you gotta make it tighter and then yeah and the teacher just you know sitting there sleeping like in the <laughs> uh and i think one night we were supposed to make uh i came up with the idea that we should make incense stands uh to sell to to people and they were like oh, that's a great idea man like uh, so we got a lot of like bamboo uh we went yeah. out cut some bamboo i think the the um the guy who took me there uh he had a small farm surrounded by bamboo so we went there and we cut bamboo uh or no actually yeah we cut bamboo but mm. he also had some bamboo dried so we could use like the really good stuff that had been like you know dried from before yeah you gotta cure and it we uh yeah, yeah, so we had already prepped it and uh, we treated it with linseed oil and uh, some other oils and we made like nice incense stands and then we made like a small logotype, like a small dragon that looked like an S. And then they were like, uh, yeah, let's go to um, uh, one of the girls knew a friend who worked at a Hare Krishna restaurant or something. And they were like, let's go basking over there and then, you know, we'll, we'll sell the, the incense stands at the basking. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And then uh, the Dracula guy was like, yeah, I've got some acid. Let's drop acid and, <laughs> and then go to the Hare Krishna restaurant. And I was like, no, I don't want to do any more of these fucking drugs, man. Like last time mm. I shot myself and they were like, okay, whatever. And then, and, and then, yeah, I think we all ended up, yeah, I, I, I took like a quarter or something, so it was enough. I mean, my mind is very sensitive and I've never really done it before, maybe once or twice since. And it, I don't oh, know, really? like when I was younger, I liked yeah. it. But like, I mean, I liked it at that time because it was with them and yeah. it was like a quarter. So I thought it was like, you know, it was fine. Fair enough. You know, like uh, mm. I know like how, you know, a lot of people think it's this sort of, uh, you know, that it's going to save mankind or whatever, but I, I really don't mm. have that feeling yeah, about it. Uh, I doubt it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but the, at this time in, uh, in my life, it was, you know, it was a really nice, cool thing to do with these people mm -hmm. and then go to this, uh, Hare Krishna restaurant and, and try to sell some, uh, uh, some in, incense holders. And I don't know why, but like during the like the whole basking thing, everybody was playing an instrument except me. And I had been before to uh, Oman. Uh, my uncle lived in Oman in the Middle East. Yeah, you know, the, it's in the north, southeast of the the head of the Middle East, or what, how to say, next to Yemen, Arabian right? Peninsula. And yeah, 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 of the Arabian Peninsula. I went to uh, like a sort of Bedouin camp one night. And there were some uh, Sufis or, or Muslims, I'm not sure, who had some um, chant that they did, mm. a sort of uh, uh, Islamic uh, chant. And for some reason, <laughs> when we dropped like, the acid and, and they were playing the instruments at the Hare Krishna restaurant, I was sort of like, 
fuck these Hare Krishnas. I'm not going to do like the Maha Mantra. I'm not going to sing, you know, mm. uh, yeah, Hare Krishna, you know, Mahashiva, whatever. I'm going to do the chant that I learned yeah. when, I was a, when I was a kid in the desert, like with my uncle in Oman. And so I just started praising Allah over okay. there. And they were like playing the the instruments, and I was like, Wah! like I think I made up some of the things. Yeah, right. I was making up like <laughs> praises to the to the prophet, yeah. you know, praise be on his name. Right, and, uh, and and then the other guys, they were like getting really into it. They were like, "Wow, that's fucking awesome, Marcus! All is right. tripping balls, man!" <laughs> and uh, I became truth. like a mean. Yeah, I'm glad you felt like safe to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I became like a minaret, you know, like chanting yeah. tower, and uh, mm -hmm. and and then there was, uh, yeah, so there was like you know a bit, bit of an event over there, and then after that, uh, once again, I felt you know, <laughs> yeah, and there was me, I was doing that yeah. stuff, and then, uh, and then, and then, uh, uh, yeah, again, I felt like you know when after that happened i was like well now i have to leave again you know <laughs> like mm. now i just you know i was off my tits once again i can't i can't <laughs> stay here you know like i made my uh, my story here and so they uh, were like okay so we should do a, a road trip they said uh mm. so uh our good friend i keep forgetting what name we picked for him he uh, he had a nice, yeah. uh, Isao, Isao had a nice, like, uh, sort of hippie truck, like a Volkswagen, like one of those classics. Oh, nice. uh, a, a, a sort of new 90s version, though, but still really cool. Mm. So it didn't have the as big of a W in the front, but it was still, you know, served, mm. served its purpose. And um, nice. they were like, uh, let's go to Shizuoka. Uh, no. And that's where I was, I, I was supposed, remember, to go there in the beginning. Um, when I met one of Shinji's friends in Kamakura, ah, right, he said that there right. knew a guy okay. who, so from Kamakura who, who to Tokyo, uh, and then yeah, and then Yokohama, and then over there, and they also knew this guy who had the barbecue place, mm. and so they were like, yeah, and, and you know, Marcus, weren't you supposed to work there? You know, we should do then, you know, a, a road trip over there, and I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't have any say in anything, okay? okay. <laughs> I'm just a, you know, like just a rolling stone, <laughs> like whatever well, yeah. happens. Yeah, and then they were like, okay. And so we went there and I think the first few days they, they also worked in the restaurant. And then they were like, yeah, like Marcus, you stay here now. And then, you know, we go back to Yokohama and it was great meeting you and everything. And, uh, uh, you know, just you know, get along in Shizuoka, I guess. <laughs> like, right. See you later, and then yeah. yeah, and then they left me there. And um, I'm sorry, Fergal, I have to go. All right, let's take yeah. a break. Yeah, see you in a bit. Jesus Tell him what you want. Jesus on the main night. Tell him what you want. Jesus on the main night, tell him what you want. Tell him what you want. Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. Da -da 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 -da. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
So that, what you said reminds me of my friend Kevin Gijinson had a couple, just a couple experiences with LSD. And the first one was really great. Like he, he had just finished his dissertation and was sitting under a, a tree playing guitar and uh, just enjoying the spring air and just sat all day just singing, playing, just totally That's content after all these years of striving and competing and trying so hard to fit into the yeah. mold of the humanities graduate student and all of that. And then just looking at a little beetle that had was trying to get up onto the root of the tree and, and everything. And, oh. and uh, in that moment, uh, my friend, Kevin Gaijinson, uh saw the beetle and and felt you know this great emotional connection to it and said yeah you're trying to do just what i'm trying to do <laughs> trying to get up onto the higher level uh yeah all the time and you know it's like but it's not such a big deal but still i am feeling so magnanimous i'll pick you up and i'll put you there uh it's fine nice. we're all gonna yeah. be fine uh yeah. and he was feeling very magnanimous at that moment but i think kevin gaijinson didn't have yet a, a material critique and he didn't realize that for the beetle it wasn't mm -hmm. a matter of like class collaboration and like trying to be uh no the rock star in the humanities or something you know it's, yeah the it's beetle about... didn't have to sell out to to climb up onto the road <laughs> no he just he was wanted still in to... accordance with his nature yeah yeah, he was. He didn't need any kind of benefactor or anything. Mm. Uh, and he was just trying Your to... Your friend's name was up. really Guy Jin Sen? Like the son uh, no, Jin. my friend Kevin Guy Jin Sen is, is a guy that I know. Um, he's, okay. yeah, I mean, he's had a lot of the same experiences as me, but... Um, I see. Yeah, but he took LSD that one time. <laughs> but then the, the, the last time that he took LSD was that yeah. he was in Philly and it was like right after trump had been elected but before the before the inauguration and mm. was just walking like from city hall out one of the radial kind of you know city hall is really very much in the center of that city okay. and you can really feel the feng shui in uh yeah. in philly uh with the the square streets and everything oh yeah, yeah, coming off the, I mean, you got feng shui coming off the Appalachian Mountains. Um, mm. Maybe you don't have uh, a mountain with a holy temple in the Demon Gate of the Northeast. In that case, you have mountains in the in the Northwest of Philly. We'll have so to consult the so they fucked up. Yeah, yeah, um, and so I was just feeling. I was looking at like the cops and just feeling all this evil from the cops and uh Gaijinson was a lot of people yeah um so Kevin Gaijinson was um <laughs> well I felt that when I heard the story from him yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. granted so, yeah um <laughs> all right nice yeah. so I you know I've heard how like different uh environments can give you a really different experience with LSD but it can it can reveal like maybe some truth psychologically like how do you actually feel about this situation if you were yeah, hiding it from so. yourself or something yeah yeah but a really good nightmare can as well i think like i mean mm. i think like getting in attuned with your sleep patterns and stuff 
it's a healthier yeah. way to sort of uh, approach those same keys uh, mm. to your everyday life, you know, like uh, a little a little rupture to 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 yeah. your uh, habitus, as the French uh, post-structural sociologist would say. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so you're uh, in Shizuoka now. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and I think the guy who place. who ran that. Uh, the barbecue place he sort of knew what kind of crowd the yokohama crowd was so i sort yeah. of lost my uh, you know my appearance of being a pilgrim it was sort of taken away and uh, now i more looked like maybe the protagonist from you know enter the void uh yeah. returning from to from the tokyo escape and so yeah. he didn't really trust me uh, in the beginning around his children so the first week i had to mm. sleep in the restaurant and then after yeah. a while, he allowed me to sleep in the in his house, and ah. uh, and I worked there. And uh, he was mm -hmm. um, he he also was a, uh, a surfboard crafter. Like so, he made the yeah. surfboards. He lived mm -hmm. in the house of his parents, who were aging, and uh, and they've been basically you know they retired to like one single room of a pretty big house, and so he had a lot of space to work on surfboards. And so uh -huh. that was really nice. Like, so we, we, again, I got to surf a lot and I worked there in the barbecue uh, restaurant. But then we went to some festival. There was a big demonstration. Somebody who, had, I, had, who I had met already back at Amaterasu, who was running for yeah, governor major for Tokyo. But like, I don't think, you know, he, he, he ever got there. But uh, he wanted mm -hmm. to sort of like do some kind of 68. Uh, you know, he wanted to like perform all his political speeches with a guitar and sort of, you know, try to organize the crowd, you know, that I had been introduced to uh, in a broader sense. And um, hmm. he uh, uh, he had some demonstration in Shizuoka. And so we went there to uh, watch him. And, and during hmm. that time, so the, the owner of the barbecue restaurant, he had two children who were six and eight, I think, at that time. And so during the demonstration, I got them to like learn how to do like the Hu Chi Minh chant. I was like, Hu, Hu, Hu Chi Minh, Hu, Hu, Hu Chi Minh. Oh, okay. And then I the kids, that. Yeah. And so, the, so oh. all the kids were like, Hu, Hu, Hu Chi Minh, Hu, Hu, Hu nice. Chi Minh. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, uh, but the, uh, the barbecue guy got sort of suspicious about me after I did that. And so again, he felt like, you know, maybe this guy shouldn't be around my kids. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know uh so one like on in the car on the way back home he sort of like freaked out about something huh. like wasn't even he didn't have the guts to really say that it was about that so he just picked something else something arbitrarily uh and turned it into mm. something bigger than it was and then he was like well yeah so you can't stay here anymore was the basic message which yeah. i mean i would soon realize that it was about time anyway because i think my three months were on the first visa was already overdue and so it was about oh, time okay, for me yeah. to go to uh it was about time for me to go somewhere uh to korea mm. and so i walked from shizuoka all the way to shimonoseki well i ha i hitchhiked as mm -hmm. well but uh i just sort of yeah oh, okay yeah i've heard left. about this, this yeah <laughs> yeah and then and you then, took uh, a ferry yeah. i took a ferry yeah yeah and I, we went um and I remember there was one. Is this when you talked yeah, to a gangster too? You talked to a gangster who helped you get to the ferry, or that's a different uh, time. Th 
there was some strange people who um um i mean i did sleep actually one night without knowing it i slept in one of those uh, right wing tour buses uh ah. the uh, rising sun on everything and and they yeah, yeah. were sort of semi abandoned because they had a huge refrigerator mm-hmm. in it that was you know obviously not working anymore and i opened it and it was full of like beer and i don't know expired food and the, even oh. the beer was expired so it's at least like one or two year old but i tried one of the beers and it was fine huh. and uh yeah, expiration and, dates are mostly fictional yeah and i think especially for like canned things like that it doesn't yeah. you know really matter at all um and um yeah so i stayed uh, yeah i mean that was just one thing that happened like a lot of things happened like you know in between these sort of you know times when i was going from one place to the other and um and i slept in a few abandoned temples I got picked up by a monk at one point uh, who I did, you know, like a small uh, two day uh, just constant sitting with. And uh, we talked oh, about yeah. a 9-11 event for some reason. <laughs> after okay. two days, he was like, How I really got How long after 9-11 was this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, what it would have been like what 2008. Decade? Yeah. Oh, okay. About then? Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, I don't know, like... Yeah, a few things happened on the way there, and uh, when I got to uh, Shimonoseki, um, my visa was overdue. But uh, the guy, you know, usually they don't pay as much attention. I realized that, like, you know, at the ferry places, mm. so he just gave me immediately like one of those stamps that said, you know, like you get another three weeks or something. Yeah, and uh, didn't really have to pay anything, and it was really nice of him. I had to go to a separate mm-hmm. office building where there were some. Yeah, that happened to Kevin Gaijinson once. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah, well, that's nice uh, to know that they it were they like, were cool. Yeah. yeah, they did him a solid too, and just like gave him an extra stamp. But, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was just mm-hmm. just changing the stamp basically, like crick crick crick, and then bang, <laughs> and then yeah, <laughs> you get <laughs> magically another three weeks, and yeah. um, and I started to realize I think like how out of it I was. Like I mean, when you start to sort of, you know. You, you know, when, when you start to give up like daily routines, like of, of any kind, I mean, this was a rather long hitchhiking and wandering journey from there. So I was basically just following the sun and I didn't have, you know, like mm-hmm. I would fall asleep, you know, I would go to sleep in abandoned buildings or abandoned temples, sometimes sleep outdoors and just wake up with the sun and walk towards the, you know, well, in accordance with the sun towards where I was supposed to be heading. And, uh, when I was on the boat over, I had already started to realize, you know, that like I was, I had sort of lost my sense of time. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. be, I, I, I think later in Korea, I also realized that I was waiting for a subway station one time and I thought that I had been waiting for five minutes. And then I looked at the, you know, the watch and I saw that it would have been an hour and I hadn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really have anything to do. You know, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was reading, getting lost in a text. I would just be uh-huh. sitting and getting lost in my own thoughts and there was no sense no. of of like how long had been you know time had been passing and so when i was on the boat i remember that the boat had already been in the harbor of busan in korea for like i don't know how long they said but like it was more than two hours and i had been sitting and like looking at sort of like kevin gaijin at a at a at a bug mm. but this time it was a grasshopper uh-huh. and i was so fucking fascinated that like wait a minute, this grasshopper came from 
from Japan. Like now he's in Korea. He didn't oh, choose yeah? to do that. Yeah. A boat yeah. took him across, and he had like oh, no, no say in this. And, yeah. and I was, you know, I was like, you know, will he get along? Like, will there be like you no? Know, different you oh. know enemies here and things like this you know right I mean, in a way it was projection Proje projection I, again yeah <laughs> yeah like i'm also you know very alien and foreign here but i didn't really come yeah. from a place that i knew very well so in a way the right. the, the grasshopper you know you know it, it, maybe it was worse or better for him i didn't know but i had been standing there wondering about these right. things for two hours whilst the boat was in the harbor and then some <laughs> cleaner came around uh, or some staff yeah. of the boat and they were like what are you doing here like you have to get off the <laughs> boat like they're closing the the immigration yeah. gate i was like oh okay okay and then i just ran across and then i ran in and then yeah i was in korea basically all and, right uh, how was well, korea not basically yeah korea was uh it was really cool like i think i like uh at least as a wanderer the buddhist milieu was more inviting like now this is when it really started to be like i mean there were no like youth drug taking groups anymore taking me in but the first mm. person that did take me in was a buddhist monk of a temple mm -hmm. um who others had accused him of being a bit of a, like a cult leader uh so this is how it that turned out it was that I went to sleep in Busan in a container, like because it's a big harbor mm. town, right? And so I went around mm. in the con like because right after the immigration, you know, it's just a harbor, and it was already like night was setting, and so I was walking around looking at, you know, is there any container here that it's open so that I can sleep somewhere because I'm not gonna get out of, you know, the the town, uh, you know, mm. to the countryside where there might be abandoned houses, you know, before it's really dark. So maybe, you know, I can find like an empty container. And then I did find an empty container and I slept in it and uh, and I painted like on the walls. Uh, I had some markers with me. I don't know why, like I had some wow. uh, like graffiti markers. So I made like a mm. nice Buddha painting and I was just imagining like, you know, I spent like most of the night doing that in the light of like one of those LE lights that sort of came into the container. It had a small window and mm. uh, uh, and um, yeah, and I, I, you know, and I was just thinking like, wow, they're going to be amazed when they see this, you know, they're going to come back to the container because I, it seemed like there, uh, you know, it was like a staircase up to it. There wasn't, there wasn't anything inside except those, uh, you know, the things that you stock things on, like the wooden frame. Pallets? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pallets, pallets. Yeah, like wooden pallets. There were lots of wooden pallets in there. And then there was one uh, empty wall onto which I painted, which had been was plywood on it for some reason i don't know it was like in in uh enforced with plywood and i was just, yeah i was just thinking mm. like they're gonna be amazed when they come back and they think this is boring inside of the container but actually like now there's a huge like mandala with uh you know lots of buddhas on it <laughs> maybe yeah. they, i don't know if they ever you know cared about that but and uh, uh and the next day yeah yeah i hope so too and uh, it had a lot of nice um some reason I painted a lot of sea turtles around like oh. the whole like sort of I did a samsaric wheel of like mm -hmm. life and death and then all everywhere around it there were loads of sea turtles and I ever since I was a child I really liked like sea turtles you know like they live really long they seem to be you know like just floating with the streams and somehow yeah. you know that 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 seemed to me like you know if, if you're gonna have to be reborn as an animal sea turtle gotta be the way to go you know and uh yeah so uh 
and the next day I was walking along the coast of Busan and uh, the water was sort of splashing up against you know these very interestingly shaped like rocks over there with uh, really black hard stone I don't know it's not granite it's some and it's not like obsidian or anything but it's very dark and uh, and there were millions of these small creatures crawling away from mm. the waves when they came and then crawling yeah. back when the waves like disappeared oh and I, I know what you mean and I was just yeah do they look like giant <laughs> pill bugs yeah I'm not sure no, what a pill, pill bug, bug is but um the ones that will roll up into a ball Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, those. So these yeah. are land crustaceans that have okay. a lot of legs, right? Yeah, yeah. those are wild. They they have them around the coast in Japan too. They'll live all over the rocks. Funamushi. Yeah. That's what they're called yeah. here. Then, okay. Well, what did you say? Funamushi. Funamushi. Yeah, like a boat bug. Funamushi. Okay. Yeah, yeah. there were. You know, yeah, I don't know millions, but thousands of them, like just in unison, yeah. walking up and down. And trying to go yep. away uh, and then when I was walking along the coast I was just imagining sea turtles like uh, sort of swimming in the sky like coming out of the clouds and dropping down into the ocean and uh, you know I just had like an, like an amazing afterglow and just walking and uh, I came up to there was a temple that went out into sort of the ocean there was like a the cliff was sort of growing out into the ocean and mm -hmm. sticking out and on top of it there was a big temple and it was mm -hmm. certainly an easy way to get to this temple but i came from the rock side and so i sort of climbed the rocks upwards to get to the temple and there was an old mm -hmm. man there taking care of um uh i think you know those um it's a rather popular tree over here the it's a shrub or a small tree but the flowers really look like roses uh sort of pink red roses they they uh -huh. they're not very long they're much more short-lived than re actual roses uh -huh. and you know the, it's not thorny or whiny it's a real like bush but the, yeah. the, the flowers almost identical. do they fall off the whole flower i think so yeah so, yeah yeah that might be a camellia could be camellia yeah yeah tsubaki in japanese yeah um and so he was tending to them uh, I think he was picking off mm -hmm. like the ones that were dying. Um, and uh, I I had started to get oh. like, you know, a little bit of regrowth on my shaven head. And so I just sort of gestured to him, you know, like uh, I'm in a bull. I was wearing my mm. wearing my Samui and I, and I said, yeah. you know, like Namamidabulla is like the Namamidabutsu, but in, in Korean. Yeah. And, uh, you know, gesturing to him, can you shave my head, you know? And then he just sort of mm. dragged me dragged me into the <laughs> temple filled up like a hot uh uh cauldron of of hot mm -hmm. water and then he like mm. just sort of banged my head into <laughs> it it was almost like he, uh, as if he like knew what i've been up to like you know like don't <laughs> fuck around with drugs and shit you know like and then yeah. get back into it and then yeah. like he started to shave my head like really roughly like dunking my head up and down and <laughs> and after Baptism. it i was like okay <laughs> yeah and then uh and then we drank uh, some tea he gave me some really good food and then he uh, uh, I think he gave me the name or he made a small map or he printed a google map and he showed me a place where I had to go that was some other temple and uh, I took it with me and then I sort of walked the wrong direction so I ended up back in Busan and <laughs> I don't know how 
And I worked in a hotel over there for a week that needed like staff for cleaning. And then uh, there were a lot of like uh, American soldiers over there, like on pay leave or, you know, like on uh, R&R &R. or yeah, R&R. Yeah. R, yeah. And uh, I mean, they were dickheads, most of them, <laughs> to be honest, yep. like really obnoxious yeah. and annoying. And uh, and uh, yeah, and, and there was one girl there who was the girlfriend of one of them uh, who was working with me as a cleaner and two Vietnamese okay. guys. And they were all oh. also Buddhist, but like not really Buddhist. Uh, and the, I asked them like, yeah, wouldn't you all like to come like, you know, to the temple here in Busan? Like it's a really nice temple and mm -hmm. there's another big temple there. And they were like, yeah, okay. And then we went there and mm -hmm. I met a Hungarian guy who was a, who was a monk there for some reason. And okay. he was like, wow, what a story, you know, like uh, I told him, you know, what I've been telling yeah. you and, and right. other things. Um, so he was like, oh, well, we got a, like a big, um, uh, summer retreat, end of spring retreat, uh, what's it called? The, uh, uh, Sazendo? No, Sazendo is where you sit. It's called, uh, oh, I can't remember, but it's like one of those sort of intensive weeks where you just sit. Can't remember okay. now why, I don't know why, but, uh, it's a special thing. Like in Sen, you do once in a while, usually at the summer retreat, at least that's how Dogen talks about it in the Shobogenso. And you just, you know, yeah. Some uh, one part of the monastic uh, community prepares all the food, do everything, and the other half just sits basically the whole mm -hmm. time, takes a few breaks, but you sit like nine hours in one day or 11 mm -hmm. hours or yeah. And and it can be for a weekend Very or it intense. can be for a week. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I did that with him, like he invited me and, you know, here, of course, you know, the, it's such an official sort of monastery that there are loads of people who, who aren't really monks who still work at the, at the monastery who prepare the food and everything. And it was sort yeah. of open to the public as well. So lay people would come there and we would sit like the other people who I worked with, you know, at the hotel, they, they didn't want to stay for that. And so I just resigned from the hotel and I, and I went there and I sat with him for a while. And then he, um, uh, I showed him the name or the map, I can't remember which, uh, of the place that the, the old monk had introduced me to. And he was like, oh, yeah, but do you really want to go there? Like, that guy's a cult leader. And I was like, really? Like, I don't think so. Like, that old monk seemed, you know, he seemed genuine. And he was like, yeah, but, but are you sure? Like, you know, maybe they don't speak Korean, you know, and it's not an official temple. I was like, yeah, that's better. Like, I don't want to be in the official temple, you know, like this is so, this whole thing is already like, you know, corrupt, like it's owned by, you know, really bad families and stuff. He was like, okay, yeah, uh, I'll show you like how to get there. <laughs> and then uh, I went there and uh, there was only me. There was one guy who his mother was an aristocrat, I think, or like from some noble family in Korea, the son there, the youngest son of like a lot of brothers. So he was sort of like, you know, the, they had no expectations of him, I guess, or something. Mm. And, uh, you know, so he was there. Uh, and then there were one other guy who had been an officer in the Korean army, like during the junta and stuff. And like, he had mm. some really like awkward war stories, uh, yeah. but he was like, you know, he, he was convinced on, you know, purifying his karma before he was dead, you know? So that's why he was okay. there. Yeah. So the three of us did like a month of just sitting again, like almost every day, really intensive month, 
just working on a wall that had been built around the compound. It was really nice. It was like in the end of a valley, surrounded by mountains, a sort of small mm. stream going through it, a lot of herbs uh, that were being grown in a herbal garden, no real vegetable. It was just loads of different herbs. So I think they, I think they had a small cafe where they sold bags of herbs. That was how they made money. And uh -huh. so we worked in the herb garden. We built a wall at the entrance of the compound, um, sort of like, like a Hayden's wall, like blocking off the entrance to the whole valley. Mm. And we just sat. So like we would work two hours a day and the rest of the time we would sit there. And uh, that was really like, I don't know, it was really intense, but it was also so cool to be like in a Korean monastic order, like with these two guys who were completely different. And, you know, even though we didn't really speak anything, I really felt, you know, like they didn't really speak to each other either because we weren't allowed to talk to each other. But we start sort of getting like a really deep rapport with each other, you know, like organizing the shoes for one another uh, mm -hmm. when we're going out, sitting together, making sure we had food, heating up the water bottles for uh, each other, you know, for, for the night, night tea, uh, mm -hmm. smoking cigarettes in the, you know, looking at the stars, not talking, just living together. And uh, mm. I don't know, I, I liked it. And the, and the officer was always like, Marcus, can you sing a song? And I was, you know, <laughs> I don't really sing. Uh, I'm not as good as you at singing. So I, I don't know why he, I mean, he would have liked that more. And I don't know why he wanted me to do that, but yeah, he wanted me to do that. And, what kinds of songs uh, do they want to hear? Um, uh, anything really. I would do like children's songs from like when I was oh, young. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, okay. Then like nursery, that's real. That's, nursery that's rhymes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I used to get re requests early on in my gaijin career where it would be like, can you do Stand By Me? Can you do Just The Way You Are? Um, okay. Just The Way You Are. I still yeah. love, I actually still love that. But uh, yeah, yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of stand like karaoke nice standards. Too karaoke standards from a certain period of time uh, yeah. that was my job um, to just sing those in english using my native competency yeah but that's Unchained way cooler melody they actually want to hear Unchained melody oh is that well i don't know i mean it's just anything that i had english lyrics you know i'd be singing it yeah <laughs> he liked that um cool. there were two ladies who worked in the kitchen prepared like the best food I've ever had, man. Like it was mm. insane. Like every day, so simple, like yeah. maximum one, two, three ingredients in every dish. But I would mm -hmm. never be able to do that with garlic, leeks and cucumber, what they did, you know, like I, I was blown away. Yeah. And that, that's I bet it I was, tastes like, so convinced. much better when it, you are eating at a level that it's like you really your body like needs it. Yeah, that too. Yeah, you only you're, like twice truly a day hungry. And, and when you're yeah, and when you're just sitting and you have no opportunity of snacking in between, uh, it really like sets it up for that moment. It's the only thing that breaks the yeah, continuation of the whole day is eating. So surely that does a lot. And uh, mm. uh, but at that time I was convinced, you know, like I, I if I hadn't been convinced before that I wanted to be a farmer, uh, you know, from my experience of growing things in Japan, now I was convinced that, you know, I want to get to this level of being able to cook food in this way, you know, like what, you know, what's up? Like, why have I ever even gone to a restaurant before? And why have I ever eaten meat mm. before? 
these people it's like they're doing magic <laughs> with yeah you know, this is incredible it's so worth it it's so worth it yeah. to just sit and stare at a wall for six hours if i'm gonna eat this afterwards and uh, well and i think yeah. those two are not, are not separable you know preparing the eater to be in the right frame mm. of mind is a is a big part of that delicious experience i think all the yeah. healthiest human cultures I'm learning about uh, had a very sacred relationship to food. Food is treated as a real sacred thing. I'm yeah. reading right now Makuk, M-A-K-U-K, is a book all about the history of Aboriginal uh, relationships with white settlers in the Pacific Northwest. And that's okay. where you have all the potlatching societies, like, right? Like the British Columbia in Canada over there. Exactly. Victoria. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got into food is sacred, of yeah. that, uh, those feasts that they had seem to be like very, very central, yeah, to the to their way of life. Like how uh, I mean yeah. we constantly think of the market as a place where you exchange commodities for M, right? C M, the basic mm -hmm. elementary uh, circuit of capital, well which ex you know predates capitalism. And we, we sort of I mean, I was thinking about it the other day, right? Like, why does, you know, libertarians who want to speak about freedom, why do their minds immediately go to a place similar or, you know, actually the market? Why do we assume that that is the only expression of freedom? And, mm -hmm. and it's somehow, you know, that's also, I think, why, you know, I think our, we, we're not even ready to like sort of, you know, understand what it means to have sort of like a feasting, you know, a, a center of feasting as as the uh, as the uh, major organizer of meaning. Uh, we can't like if there is no general mean of exchange, if and if there isn't even barter, but even a gift economy, we're like, well, that's just going to be silliness, right? Like, and it's going to be a joke, or there's going to be, you know, there can't be any real structure to it, and you can certainly mm -hmm. not live like that. Whereas they sort of, you know, I mean, they truly do prove that, that no, that's yeah. possible. If you want to do oh, it for yeah. thousands of years, that's possible. Yeah. Uh, and, and Or maybe and, uh, that sort of thing is relegated to a carnivalesque sort of space, right? Isn't that mm -hmm. interesting how those maybe more original relations are allowed to be a kind of diversion that come out once in a yeah. while, but that's not, but nobody can really live that way is the... Yeah. story we're told right and maybe that's why we exactly why we think we can't live like that is because it has been systematically caricaturized in our own you know because we must have been like that even in europe a long time ago and then it yeah. has been you know sort of uh, made a fool out of literally like systematically to make a point about where we are going and what we're going away from and so so i mean it, that is you know it's an historical uh, uh, you know, gradual process of, of constant interpolation to not take it serious and to dis, you know, believe in it. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, if right. there's anything we have to, I mean, that's, I mean, if we're going to get away from like, you know, the market fundamentalism that even like Marx is a bit of a victim of, I mean, obviously he has to be because he's talking about capitalism, but you can even notice, you know, that he's been mm. in the Plato's cave for so long trying to figure out what's on the wall that, you know, he takes some of its notions for granted as well. And, mm -hmm. 
And I mean, Hegel also does, right? Like when he talks about other people who doesn't even have a history, as he says, it seems to be that they don't have a history because they don't have a market, basically. And uh, But you're in Korea. I love this. You, Whatever motivated you to leave that wonderful place? So I would come back again later. Uh, yeah. I think we, you know, we're, we're going to have, you know, maybe when, I don't know when your next break is from school, but we, we have to yeah. do a third and a fourth episode, I think as well, but uh, sure. But maybe I can sum up like what happened. I have one really nice story. Mm. One more really cool story about Korea. I would go All back right. to Japan and come back to Korea later. So that can be a sort of carrot for the future. But what uh -huh. happened when I left that place, when I left the, uh, um, uh, when I left the, what the other monks had said was a cult, but it wasn't, wasn't didn't really seem like a cult to me. Oh. Maybe it was, uh, I guess for it to be, really be a cult, you need to stay longer than one and a half months or whatever. Um, mm. And uh, so I started wandering and I wandered around. And uh, at one point I stayed at, a, uh, at some, mm. I, I remember maybe I only stayed at one other farm in between. And then I, came at, I I think I must have started to return to Busan because I went into this sort of like Ivy League complex of a university mm. and I uh, I walked and it was a full moon and I remember I had been I yeah I was on the countryside right before I went into this complex and I walked into an abandoned uh, Buddhist temple and the Buddhist temple had like a huge really beautiful like um depiction of a scene that i've never read about in the sutra but it's a almost like a buddha uh, it is a buddha hovering in the air on a cloud sort of like son goku style like in the dragon ball oh. and there's a cliff and there are some monks like with their hands clapped in a gasho walking towards the end of the cliff and the buddha is sitting on the edge uh, outside of the edge on his cloud and sort of beckoning them towards <laughs> to walk closer yeah. towards the cliff and one person is even depicted as falling off the cliff and uh, and the, the buddha has a sort of like you know grin you know like he always does have a sort of like you know grim smile but in this depiction it was like extra present and i was like fuck me like what's happening to me like what <laughs> why am i listening to this guy and why am i walking <laughs> towards the cliff and when is this going to happen and then uh and i walked out of it and I walked the entire night and there was a huge, like really big moon. And I can't remember yeah. like, you know, if there was any particular astronomical reason for this, but as I kept on looking towards the moon, every time I sat down and didn't have anything to do looking towards it, uh, the silhouette of a Buddha started to appear on top of it. And another monk had told me before uh, at some point that there used to be an old law in Korea uh, during the you know, the, the, the dynasty, this, the last dynasty period, I guess, that, uh, uh, that there was a sort of Robin Hood law, that it wasn't illegal to steal something from a temple if you took a vow that you are going to return that object that you stole to a more poor temple. That would be completely oh. accepted. And just like how it's been in the feudal, you know, society in Europe, that there was no central court, this would be something that would have been judged by a theological court that on, you know, under no circumstances could they punish you for this, as long as you could prove that your intention, you should write down a letter of your wow, 
uh, or you should have already, you know, performed the act of returning the object to a more, you know, uh, a poorer temple. And so this teaching of this monk who had met in real life started to appear again through like sort of the amplitude of, of the full moon and the silhouette of a Buddha uh, in front of it. And as I walked into this Ivy League complex of the university, I was like, well, this is a grand place to steal something. And then I'm going to return it to, uh, you know, an off the beaten track temple somewhere in Tibet. Like this no. is my, you know, this is where mm -hmm. my path is heading, I decided. And uh, I didn't have anything to write down with. So I wrote it down sort of like on the on the ground of the earth. And I sort of like uh, scraped it away like they do when they do like a sand mandala. And I did some prostrations in front of it. And uh, I think I, I, I had uh, filled up a bottle of water. And so I poured it on a, on a stone that was next to it. And then I said, you know, like, this is my uh, uh, vow now, like, hear me, the full moon. I will take something from this Ivy League school temple and I will return it to uh, a poor off the beaten track temple in Tibet when I get there. And, uh, and then lo and behold, uh, as soon as I went out of that small little forest inside of the complex of this Ivy League University, uh, there was a temple that belonged to the university. And even though I was in the middle of the night, I walked up to the sliding doors and I just slid open. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, <laughs> the universe wants me to do this. And I walked in, <laughs> I sat down in a big, like, sasendo, a big room of tatami floors. And I sat there yeah. and I meditated for an hour. I looked up towards the altar and I see a, a Buddha clearly that is belonging to the Vairayana tradition. That is the Tibet, Tibetan mm. tradition. It was the Vairasattva Buddha, you know, the one who sometimes mm. he do, does, you know, the rock and roll star mudra, like with <laughs> universal love. Uh, mm. And sometimes he, he has a consort sitting on top of him. I think this one was the one where he holds a sword. So it's really like Vairasattva. He holds it above his head. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he has many, like, you know, sometimes he's even Ganesh. Like, he has many of, like, you know, met, oh, like the the metamorphosis intense in, in the... Yeah, it's, he's called the uh, Jambahala, I think, in the Vairasattva, uh, Vairayana tradition. But Vairasattva can huh? become Jambahala. And he can become some other ones as well. Um, uh -huh. And so I stood up from my meditation. I was sitting there and it started to sound like I was in a beehive. Like it was yeah. so like buzzing sound in my head. And then I was like, I have to get out of the beehive. I have to, you know, do what I said that I was going to do. And then I walked up to the, um, to the Buddha there, the statue, and I took it and I had a small backpack and I took it and I put it in my backpack and I turned around and I walked towards the entrance, the gates open. And I walk about five meters and then I hear somebody screaming behind me and I turn around and a security guard has come into the big room, walking towards the, the sliding gates. And just as they're about to slide, he's like pointing towards me and screaming. And then the sound is like muddled by the closing doors. And I just take off oh. and I run up into the forest where I had been before. And I sit there for like 10, 15 minutes. I was like, okay, now maybe coast is clear. And I walk out and I walk down and I get out of the uh, university complex and there's a huge river coming and the moon is on the other side of the river. And I see the, the bridge uh, overlapping the, the river. And just as I'm about to walk towards the bridge, 
there's a huge like gestalt, like an apparition of the consort of Vairasattva, which is usually depicted as like a sort of ghost-like woman with a really fearsome face, like she's about to eat him, like a kind of, a, you know, like a praying mantis or something. And she's sort mm. of pointing towards the river, like, don't go across the bridge, don't go across the bridge. And the light of the moon is, you know, illuminating this whole smoke-like feet, you know, gestalt. And, uh, and I'm like, fuck it, like, I'm just gonna go across the bridge, like, it's much easier. And then she comes over so that the whole bridge is almost like, emerged in fog and keeps on telling me don't go there. And I'm uh. walking through the fog and the apparition disappears. And I find myself on the middle of the bridge. And then from two sides, at the same time, police wow. cars, like five, six police cars just comes holding at me with sirens and traps me on the middle of the bridge. Like, oh, and then all yeah. the two or three, four or five, I don't remember how many police officers gets out, yeah. grabs me, grabs me, puts me in the piquet, like in the wagon, takes wow. me to the police station where a monk is waiting and uh, he speaks perfect English for some reason. And then they're like interrogating me and the monk says, why did you do this? Why did you take mm. the Buddha statue? And I said, the Buddha told me to do it. The full moon told me to do it. He said, I know, but you cannot talk like this. <laughs> you cannot talk <laughs> like this. And I said, no, I have to. I'm taking it to the Tibetan, like, uh, like a temple in Tibet. This is a Tibetan statue. You took it from them. They're like, yes, but don't you know how much has been taken from us? <laughs> Don't you know how much yeah. has been taken from us? I said, yeah, oh, maybe, yeah. but this is a rich school. Yeah. This is a rich school. I have to take it to the poor Tibetans. And he said, oh, yeah. no, you can't talk like this. I know you are right. This is truth. Never give up. Keep believing. But this is wrong, but it's right. But it's okay. no. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. And then he's like, do you have the statue? Do you have the statue? I was like, yes, I have the statue. And then he's like, okay, take it out slowly, carefully. I was like, okay. And I take it out of the bag and I give it to him. He was like, nice, good. It's whole. It's not broken. Nothing as bad has happened. You're fine. Never give up. I, I, you're a strong person. I like you, <laughs> but I have <laughs> to leave you here with the police. I was like, oh, okay. Can't you help me anymore? He was like, it's fine. Don't worry. And then he uh -huh. just takes off and he leaves and they put me in a cell for like one night with like four other people in a big like room. And they tie me up like with ropes on the uh -huh. ankles and on the mm. on the on the hands, and I just have to sit yeah. there in the cell the entire night. Central and uh, when I get into this, yeah, and when I get into the cell, they sort of take off the the thing that connects the the hands with the the legs, mm. so that you can sort of move around, uh, but you can't really run. And uh, yeah, and there's loads of like I don't know, they mainly like alcoholics in there, so it wasn't you know like. Yeah. Uh, it was just in custody, I guess. Yeah, it's called in English. The drunk, the drunk tank. Yeah, yeah, oh. and the, like the minor misdemeanor section. Um, and then the next day, they I get interrogated again by like a police officer, and he's like, "Yeah, your your way of thinking is dangerous, uh, but I, I will take your information." And the monk said that you know something, blah blah blah, Buddhism. Blah blah blah. Uh -huh. So I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Like that was the okay. law, right? Like <laughs> I'm in the clear, you know. And he was like, "Yeah, mm. he put in a good word for you. We're not gonna hold you any longer. There will be no fee. You don't have to pay, like you know, any punishment. Uh, 
Uh-huh. Like, you know, yeah, you don't have to pay anything for this, but, you know, never do this again. And, you know, if you promise you'll never do something like this again, you know, you can walk out of here today. And I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> give me the paper. <laughs> and then they, I just signed the paper. And then yeah, a few hours later, they let me out. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that That's was a, the there's a, that story. There's a line in the gateless gate, uh, a certain patriarch yeah, saying this, this kind of simple uh, line is like crying thief when you're holding the loot in your hand. And there's many different dialogues where that's that's the trick, that's the flip, is for somebody to yell "thief." We're we're having a dharma, some high uh, <laughs> philosophical dispute, and all of a sudden someone yells yeah. "thief," and then the other guy has to yeah. run away, maybe because because when you yell out "thief," everyone's going to come running and try to catch the thief, and so on. It's a and it's a I big guess, performance yeah. art kind of movement moment mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> wow yeah, so you met the buddha and you didn't you didn't kill the buddha but you uh you stole the meat buddha <clears throat> steal the buddha yeah took in and, capture uh, right took, took, took the ball and, and, and you did there. you you uh by accusing the uh accuser you were able to also uh be the host yeah. in that situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> somehow yeah <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so i got away like yeah uh, yeah, you who I is love the thief. Fa- fascinating. <laughs> exactly, it's you who is the thief. Yeah, yeah. Why, why did you take my freedom? Yeah, um, that's all. I, I don't know. I think this is a, is a good... Uh, there's one thing more that happens in Korea afterwards. I stay uh-huh. at another farm, but then the police do come to they the farm. They have some great farms. Yeah. yeah, they have great like yeah. natural farming in Korea too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting really big, especially I think we talked about this before in, in Hawaii, they're picking up on this. And so if you search like Korean natural farming on YouTube, uh-huh. you'll see like mainly Americans uh, and Canadians um, mm-hmm. uh, putting this into practice, which is great. I mean, translating it and stuff, because the original, well, I mean, one of the books that I got from the Hawaii University Press on natural farming, Korean natural farming, it's like, it's terrible. Like you can barely understand mm-hmm. what it says in English. And so it's good that these, uh, uh, these guys are translating it and, and like making it more coherent and uh, because it's really useful. Like, I mean, this is what I'm practicing as well, uh, mixed a little bit with like, you know, the Japanese version and the other ones that I've learned in Asia and, and permaculture uh-huh. from, from the West, right? And so, mm. uh, you know, I've held some seminars here uh, in my here in Nagano, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, yeah, it, it's 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 uh, it's really like they are way ahead of like mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, I don't know like statistically, but theoretically, of what I've seen at these farms in Korea, like yeah, they're they're you know, wow, they're doing amazing yeah. things. And uh, yeah, and so I have many good, you know, more stories about like yeah, working on the farms in Korea and what I learned there. But uh, yeah, yeah, the next farm I went to right after this, the police unfortunately came to that farm and then, you know, saying that I've been arrested, I guess. And so they had to like yeah. let me go from there. Oh. Uh, I didn't do anything bad over there, but uh, um, yeah. But well, then, you probably yeah. didn't have immigration status to be except like making money or anything or working, right? No, I didn't. So maybe uh, they could, yeah. I, I, yeah, so they could have been, you know, mistaken. That mm-hmm. actually happens later in the story. Like one year from this, I get refused entry into Okinawa from Taiwan. 
uh, and I had to st- and I get put into prison again uh, on the Okinawan airport uh, uh, custody uh, cell. It was a lot like you know, just had to stay there one night, and then the next day somebody paid for my ticket to go back to Taiwan. Uh, but that, that's a future story. But uh, yeah. The, the the time the rest of the time in, in in Korea was still very pleasant and like you know staying at the different farms other than the first one because I moved out of the province and I guess it was a provincial thing so then no more police came ever to look for me at the at the farm so it was fine okay. but uh, yeah I think that's a good that's a good place to stop again I guess like yeah all right well my yeah. <laughs> my thanks and apologies to your family for keeping you away congratulations it's on good. the new job. Thank you, thank you. That's great. Maybe we'll, yeah, I don't know. I've been saying this every time since, you know, we ever first met that I'm, maybe I'm getting some farmland soon. So, yeah, I'm hoping that's going to happen. Yeah. I'm glad you got a job for now. That's, that's a good step. Yeah. It was good to keep you afloat for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. This has been really like fun and educational (laughs) and like, yeah, enlightening. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. It's nice. Yeah, in hindsight, I probably should have said sorry about getting a day job. Uh, You know, hearing the latest episode, actually, Marcus is a little bit bummed about about this, but, um, uh, you know, in which I get, but um, uh, welcome to my world, I guess, you know, that's exactly the situation I have. I have my day job and I do my best in it and then... Uh, but I find I have some time to, to do this podcast and put maybe the nearest and dearest ideas to my heart, uh, into bits and bites for, for you, dear listener. You know, in Italy, there's a whole sequence of insults that are customary to, to say to someone who has just gotten a job. And I think that maybe portrays the exact perfect attitude that one should have in, in, toward wage labor and the value form and everything that uh, Marcus is getting sucked back into. And that is in boca al lupo, which means into the mouth of the wolf. And you're supposed to reply crepey, which means may the wolf's mouth like break on me or something. Uh, and there's a whole series of, of similar utterances that other members of the group, you know, when you're drinking and toasting to this, uh, are supposed to say, you know, like, in culo alla balena, or, you know, into the arse of the, of the whale, and so on. So, you know, into the arse of the whale, into the mouth of the wolf, you're in for it, but I'm sure you'll do great. I'm Fergal Schmudlock, and I have anointed you with the anointing of the kingless generation. Arahazukashiya wagasugata はやひとびとにみえけるぞやあのともしびをけしたまえとよ<音楽>